Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Introversion Podcast. Today, I am joined by Tyler Burgett. Tyler. Good morning. <laughs> hey, Tyler. So Tyler is a 29-year-old in Sanford, Florida, working a job he loves in transportation planning. He earned his bachelor's degree from the University of Central Florida, where he studied communication with a minor in business. Although raised as an evangelical Christian, Tyler is now, rather loudly, an atheist and gay and a whole slew of other disappointing labels. Despite the <laughs> pivotal shifts in his faith and life direction, Tyler's passion remains finding common ground with others. So, Tyler, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Cool. Yeah, it's great to have you on here. So, um, a little backstory. I mean, that's... a in a, that's like some pretty broad strokes about your backstory, and we're going to get into all those in great detail. But a little bit about sort of you and me. I think we met obviously online uh, yeah. on Facebook. It was either like a recovering ex Christians group or one of the yep. other ones, but it was probably yeah, that I think one. So. Yeah. Yep. So we met in that group, and uh, you know, we ended up probably seeing each other's posts and comments in there. And somewhere along the lines, we decided to friend each other. So we individually became Facebook friends that way. And I think you saw some things I was posting on my personal Facebook and you were like, Hey, you might like this other group. And yep. uh, you pointed me to conservative atheists. And uh, sure enough, I was like, wow, you know, that, that group was pretty great. And um, yeah, that would have to be like a couple of years ago now, huh? Time flies by. I, I guess. Time is weird. Yeah. Time is weird. I feel like I just discovered that group, but maybe it was yeah. 2019 or something like that. But yeah. So That's anyway. A true friendship right there. We're a couple <laughs> years in. Right. Right. We are uh, long, long-term BFFs yeah. who've, who've never met. <laughs> who've never met. So we're just like learning things about each other now. You know, like I know you live in Florida, but you like now you know I live in Philly, at least for now. But I'm actually thinking about potentially moving to Florida. So that's a whole nother thing. We can get into that later. But like for now to kick things off, though, I'd, I'd love to hear kind of your story of your upbringing and um, your, your religious upbringing. And from what you've told me, just little bits and pieces, it sounds like there's a lot there to unpack. So why don't you start from the very beginning and, you know, just as much detail as you want to get into, like growing up. Uh, as a pastor's kid and, and and all of that, I don't want to spoil anything, but go, mm. but go for it. Yeah, you make me sound like such an interesting person. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, uh, my father was or my my parents they both work for a mission organization, so not uh, he he wasn't a pastor, but yeah, associated with a Christian organization, so missionaries. Okay. You know they they call themselves and Do, uh, can you say can you say the name of the organization because I had a I had a guest on the Confusionity podcast last year who his parents were also part of this organization and I'm kind of wondering if it was the same organization because it oh cool yeah Ethnos 360 is an organization formerly known as New Tribes Mission okay. uh, so yeah it's a mission organization so their whole mission is to reach unreached people groups you know, around the world in primitive locations, people that don't have access to the Bible, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know, people that are living with animistic beliefs, believing in trees, all sorts of gods that they've come up with. Hmm. And New Tribe missionaries, uh, they go all around the world. And their main focus is, you know, like least reached people groups okay. to go in there, befriend the people, live there. You know, they live off support, financial support from uh, different churches and people that believe in what they're doing. Then they go in there, connect with the people. And the whole goal is to 
learn their culture and language to eventually share with them the gospel and, you know, turn them into Christians. So right. that's, that's right. the environment that I grew up in. Uh, my parents uh, have five kids and I'm number four. So wow. a rather large family by Western world standards. Mm-hmm. And my parents, when I was five, they went into this training to become missionaries and they figured that they would end up overseas in some tribal region, but we ended up never doing that because my dad is very good at what he does. And he became a software developer and he realized that that was a need that he could really fill. So he actually became uh, a software developer and worked full time here in the States to assist with software, what the people are doing all around the world. So uh, they work for this organization that sends people all over, but we stayed actually just in Texas and Florida. That's where I grew up. Okay. So yeah, definitely a very religious uh, Christian environment. You know, it's interesting, you know, I have plenty of friends that identify as Christians, but as I got older, obviously realizing that my upbringing was very different, you know, I, I we're a very uh, extreme brand of Christianity, you know, where life's not just about being a nominal Christian, you know, maybe going to church on Sundays and such and such. Like our life is all about being a Christian and all about Jesus. And not only are we Christians, but our whole life is about then reproducing that and telling everybody else about Jesus and having them believe in Jesus the way that we do right? and pray a prayer to be saved by God. And uh, I might way- be making it sound kind of negative, but I don't, I don't, no, I, I, was, I, was, uh, I was just thinking in a way, you guys are, it sounds like you're walking the walk. Like a lot of Christians in America, like they just talk the talk, but it sounds like you, you all are the ones who are taking up your cross and, you know, going out there and preaching the gospel and spreading the word. I mean, technically that's kind of what we're commanded to do or whatever, right? In the Bible. But a lot of people are just show up on Sunday mornings and put a dollar in the bucket and call it a day. Exactly. You know? So. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly it. Like, like the, the brand of Christianity that I grew up with, I really respect more than so many others because mm-hmm. you're right. That's exactly it. You know, the, at least they're trying to really do this. I mean, if this is true, right. if the scriptures are true, if the whole world is separated from God and their sole source of saving grace right. is through knowing Jesus Christ to be known and loved and find hope in this dark world, then gosh, how should we be eating, sleeping, doing anything right. other than focusing <laughs> on how to reach the world? Right, so honestly, right, right. while I personally am so far from these ideologies right, now, right. the reality is like, man, like I, that it's the kind, it's kind of the only type of Christianity that I can understand because at least they're trying, they're, they're trying to actually act like it's real. Right. You know, I, I don't understand the yeah. people that claim to <laughs> believe in Jesus and heaven and hell and whatnot, but they're most excited about what they're wearing or what concerts yeah, they're going to. It's like, right. wait, what? Because that's right. just not the faith I grew up with. Like our faith right. is everything. Oh God, this is so. get, this is firing so many like neurons in my brain right now. Like just all the places I want to take this conversation. Because like, yeah, like I used to get. I'm curious, like, to know how knowledgeable you are in scripture and stuff. Because like when I I knew the Bible inside out and. I would go to church or Bible study, and this is like in New York City in my twenties and thirty, like early thirties. But like, mm. I, 
I used to lead Bible studies. I used to host Bible studies. And we would open up the scripture and we would talk, you know, whatever, Hebrews or this or that, or, you know, even a gospel. And, and we're reading the scripture and everybody in the room is acting like this is the first time they've heard this. And, and I'm just, it would always baffle me. I'm like, what do you, why are you acting like you, you, don't you know this already? Like, I, I mean, I, this is like the fourth time I've read this. So I'm like, I'm like, okay, it's good to be reminded of things. Sure. But people would act like, and I think they seriously, it was as if they were experiencing it for the first time. Like they just really didn't know it before. And to me, it really spoke right. to the fact that people don't really absorb it. Like people just kind of like, all right, what are we going to talk about today? Da, 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 da. Okay. All right. Great. Yeah. All right. I'll pray more and do this and they go about their day. And then when the same verse comes up seven months later, they're like, oh, wow, that's this is amazing. I didn't know this was in here. Like it. But it kind of goes to what you're talking about, about, and same thing for my sister, like my sister and I, we grew up preacher's kids, like from the beginning, we were, we were like five years old and reading scripture after dinner and together as a mm. family and all that stuff. And it's like, we took it seriously. Like yeah. we took the faith and the scripture and all of it seriously. And it, as I got older and I compared myself with the people around me, and I don't mean to say this is an arrogant way, but it was like, wow, like we took it seriously and most people around me didn't. You know, and one way I like to put it is for other people, especially when it came to like dating and, and marriage, it's like Christianity was just kind of a checkbox. It's like, oh, okay, good. They're, they're Christian. I can date them and marry them. But <laughs> other than that, it was like, it didn't really matter if you're like a quote unquote man of God or, you know, like I, I, I felt like I was doing it like what you're supposed to do in Christianity. Like I didn't have sex before marriage and I was still that is noble. Yeah, I was still a virgin at 30 and it's still like a church, like waiting and praying upon the Lord for God to provide me this perfect, wonderful wife. And it just didn't happen. And that's when I started to deviate uh, from the faith. But anyway, that's more my story. But I just kind of wanted to touch on yeah. that feeling of like you are taking it seriously and we were taking it seriously. And it's weird, like you said, to observe and be with around other Christians who are really like it's kind of a checkbox mentality. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's exactly it. it. It's just so interesting to recognize that not everybody understood Christianity as that. Yeah. It was just their religion and then just one part of their life. But yeah, yeah. no, like our faith is, I mean, that that's our heartbeat. Right. That's our oxygen. It's everything. Right. And the measure of how you're living your life is based on how well you're living at your faith. And that's a hundred percent it. You know, obviously you could have riches and wealth and happiness and all sorts of other forms, even a happy family, even a, you know, take good care of your kids and your wife and all these things. But like what matters more than anything, far more than anything is your relationship with God, as we called it. Right. And how we're living out that life, you know, walking by faith and making other people know and accept Jesus too. So it's just everything. Uh, yeah. And I'm not one to brag. But yes, I am a Bible quizzing champion. Okay. <laughs> I was just about to ask um, how knowledgeable yeah. <laughs> you are in Scripture. I'm incredibly knowledgeable. Okay. Um, and do you still no, retain uh, I, a, a lot of that or is it all a distant you know, it's memory? Funny. It's funny how some of it, just because I don't read the Bible anymore yeah. uh, as a habit, right. um, it is funny how I do feel like some of it is leaving my head. And every once in a while yeah. I think, oh, no, I got to read through that sucker again because <laughs> I don't want it. I don't, I don't want it want to lose it but it's kind of like uh, a foreign language honestly, you know it's like a foreign language it's like learning latin or something you're like you know i'd like it, to i spent the time to learn latin even though i don't speak it anymore it would be nice to retain you know like 
Yeah, it's a it's an interesting book. It really is. It's definitely a it's definitely a very dry book. I learned, which is why a lot of people don't read it. But when you're so deep in your, you think the Bible is a dry? It's a dry book. Incredibly, it's an incredibly dry well, book. I Do think, you not think it's dry? I think Numbers and Deuteronomy and Leviticus, sure. But some of the other stuff is like some pretty batshit crazy stories in there. Oh, absolutely. No, no, no. I think it has some gut-wrenching, you know, fun stuff. Like, definitely upbeat, interesting stories, interesting events. But overall, it's written in a very dry way. I mean, if that was, you know, I mean, an author by any standard, they wouldn't be impressive. Yeah. Right. I mean, there, there's, it's, it's a very dry format. Right. And it's, it's just funny because once you're out of believing that it's the inspired word of God— and you don't have a reason to just like read every word and tell yourself that it's uh, an amazing gift you were just given. Then suddenly you kind of see it for what it is. And it's like, Oh, this is not that impressive. And Oh, this sounds a lot like a lot of other stuff and a lot of the other stuff that was produced at that time. And mm-hmm. it, it, it sounds like a book that was translated from other languages and just doesn't have a nice flow. And yeah. it's a, yeah, I learned so much from the Bible, and I'm so thankful for my upbringing. And I think there's a lot of positive things in the Bible. I think there's a whole lot of negative things in the Bible, yep. which is why I would never want to build my life on that book. Right. But Expel the immoral brother, the homosexual oh offender. Gosh. I know, I know, I'd be stoned. Right. I'm just, I'm, I think there's a lot of dark things in it, but uh, in Western world christian's defense i think they do take the good out of it or that you know they live by the good they they choose to see the good they look at it with rose-colored glasses and if you ask them what the bible's about they say man god's love right right. you know god loves people blah blah blah. but you know I, i think there's more in there uh but you know i'm glad i mean if you're gonna read that book and try to take something out of it i i, I would hope that they would choose to find the points that right. incline them to love others better and reach others and, uh, you know, care about others. There's a lot of positive principles in that book. Right. And I would say I largely still build my life on those principles, but definitely don't believe it's a good book or, you know, full of good messages. And definitely, I just don't see it as a uh, spiritual or superior document at all. Right. If you take it from page one until the very end, it's like, uh, yeah, there's a lot of fucked up shit in here. And like, you kind yeah. of you kind of are forced to do mental gymnastics to make it into this beautiful loving god like kind of thing. And, 100%. And and people do that. Like a lot of Christians they do that or they just don't even think about it that much because if if you just show up at church the pastor will just give you the the sugary sunshine care bear little snippets. And that's good enough mm-hmm. for people and they're call it a day and they're like, "Oh wow, that was a great Bible passage today." And and you go on Instagram and there's like a little happy psalm, like, blessed be the people and the Lord. And, you know, and it's like a nice little mm-hmm. sunshine graphic and whatever. And they make, they feel good. And that's all it really is. But like, they just gloss over the parts where it's like, you know, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah and and, and God wiping out humanity because he didn't like them anymore, like with the flood and, you know, just. Right. Just yeah, what a beautiful this. story, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I love Noah's Ark. Yeah. I love all the child-themed Noah's Ark right. toys and things. 
It's like I cannot imagine a darker story to give a child. Right. Oh my gosh. It's, it's really funny though, because like as a kid, I can only speak from my own personal experience as a kid, but like I, so many things just went over my head. Like yeah. it, it doesn't matter what it was. Like it just certain things, just like. And I was just having this conversation with somebody yesterday where it was like, it's funny the random little things that impact us as children or really at any point in our life. Like just, it might seemingly be a little arbitrary thing, but we remember it like from 30 years ago and it just sticks with us. Like it's, it's kind of funny, like how it's kind of has to do with our individual personalities, but it's like which things stick with us and which don't, you know, but like as a kid, a lot of things just kind of went over my head. Like I, I never thought of the Bible as a violent book. I never thought of it as atrocious. I never thought of it as, as anything horrific, like how I look at it now as an adult. It just didn't stick with me back then, you know? But, but maybe, right. maybe for other people, like at a young age, they're like freaked out by these stories. Yeah, I would say it freaked me out on some levels. You know, I think like most evangelical Christian children, you have experiences where you're kind of thinking through the concept of hell. And then you're just kind of praying over and over and <laughs> trying right. to make sure that God heard you, that he, that yeah. you believe in Jesus. I was afraid and that you don't want to, you yeah. don't want to go to hell. Right. And you know, the concept of something we always prayed for as a family was for um, a couple of our relatives that did not believe in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so like the idea was that like these relatives could end up going to hell right. when they die. So it's just kind of like a dark twist. It's like, Oh geez, well great grandpa. So-and-so, is, is he going to hell? You know, we have to keep praying for him, right. hoping God doesn't condemn him. Uh, you know, it kind of puts a dark tinge on things in general, mm-hmm. uh, like uh, in the background. But yeah, overall, our focus was very much, you know, how good is God? God is so good. He provides for us. He right. loves us. And, you know, overall, uh, our Christian faith, I would say, was very inspiring and made for a very hopeful, mm-hmm. happy life. And I did go to Bible school uh, right after high school. That was my first thing. Went to a two-year Bible program up in Wisconsin and uh, enjoyed that because scriptures were everything. Is that like Uh, sort of like the equivalent of like a community college for seminary or something like that? Like one level below getting a degree, like an associate's degree or something? Or yeah, so it's a it's an interesting program. So it's two years, and all it is is Bible. So you just cover like everything in the scriptures. So it's really a bachelor's level of Bible. Like if I went to another Bible college for a degree in Bible, uh-huh. you know, you would do gen eds and Bible. Instead, I just did the Bible stuff. So it's like a bachelor's level of Bible, okay. but all you do is the Bible. So it's just two years. So do you, do you walk away with any sort of accreditation or like sort no. of a document? Unaccredited. Okay. <laughs> Unaccredited Bible degree, uh, okay. associates in biblical studies. Okay. So it's called an associates because it's only two years. And okay. then and then I came down here to Florida to start regular college. But yeah, growing up, you know, just a, a mark of a very devoted evangelical Christian. Yeah, I did I did grow up with the scriptures being everything. Mm-hmm. And even through high school or even as a kid and in high school, and us and our friends would get together and literally be doing Bible studies. Like that's what we did for fun. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I look back on those times with a lot of fondness because mm-hmm. a lot of kids are running around causing a lot of problems <laughs> and hurting themselves. Right. And it, it is cool. And I do love it that we were passionate about trying to do what mattered. And to us, that was sitting around with our guitars, singing worship songs, yeah. 
reading the Bible, trying to figure out what God wanted us to do. I really look at that with a lot of respect. We, we'd prayer walk in our neighborhoods, you know, just walking around silently praying for our communities. I, I always have to wonder like what in the world people were thinking about this, like random group of young people silently marching through their neighborhoods. It's mm. gotta be a creepy sight. But yeah. what I love is that we were caring about people and we were doing it together. Uh, a bunch of friends and I, we had our own youth group and uh, some adults helped us like really manage it. And, you know, just such a cool experience. Uh, it, it really was uh, growing up in uh, small family-based churches with a lot of love and a lot of healthy families. Uh, I have so much to be thankful for regarding my, my own family. And then also just all the families that we got to be surrounded with in our tight knit Christian communities. Uh, so I'm very thankful for so much of that. Um, wow. Dude, it's, it uh, really worked for me. A lot of people leave yeah. Christianity because it doesn't work for them and it burnt them. Uh-huh. And then they just put their middle fingers up and walk out. Yeah. For me, back in 2017, when my faith fully deconstructed, it was the worst thing that ever happened to me because Christianity was always the thing that worked and yeah. worked more than anything. And life is so complicated, isn't it? And anything can happen at any point and life can just change in any way and people you love can die or turn away from you or you can lose your job and money and all these things it's like the one thing that you know is certain is god because god doesn't right. change and you have that that rock that you're yeah, on you're grounded and suddenly in that, that foundation 100 yeah and then suddenly the one thing that you know right. will never change and the thing that you put all of your true emotional investment in is breaking and it was it was a personal crisis and very shocking because the construction of my christian faith was the last thing i ever wanted and it became hell on earth because all i wanted was my christian faith and all i wanted was god and all i wanted was to live a godly life but suddenly i didn't believe in that god and i didn't believe in the bible i didn't believe in jesus and it was like i didn't ask for this right so now I'm really diving into it. Yeah, like a couple of things I want to interject and say here is like, um, on the one hand, I'm like, you've the way you've described your childhood and growing up in the faith, to me, it sounds like pretty great in a lot of ways. And it, 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 was, it, was. Le- it was leading me to feel like, uh, I'm really interested to hear the story of how and why you came out, because it just seems like, wow, if it was working for you and it was so great, why would somebody leave that kind of thing? And And I'm going to ask you about that in a second, but like, even with what you've just said just now, I think it's something for people to listen to and hear and know this, that especially a lot of Christian friends or Christian listeners to the podcast, like hmm. like a lot of them look at atheists or agnostics or whoever is like, yeah. like we're, we're like devilish demonic people. We are <laughs> overcome with evil. Exactly. We are giving the middle finger to God. We are we are selfish, we are prideful, we are arrogant, we are, you know, that, that that's how they, that's kind of this perception of a lot of atheists. And granted, a lot of atheists are very militant and they all, they do have their middle fingers up and they're very angry people like that. Um, but yeah. yep. I think, and again, like you and I, we're just kind of getting to know each other deeper, uh, even just in this podcast recording. But like, I get the sense that you and I are both kind of like, look, we're a little bit kumbaya in the sense of like, look, can't we all just get along? You know, like, 
we can believe Absolutely. we can believe Please. different things, but don't demonize me. I'm not going to demonize you because you're Muslim or you're Christian or you're, you mm-hmm. know, Republican or Democrat or whatever. Like, gross. You know, yeah. It's just yeah. <laughs> we we have a a mentality and an approach to life and to ourselves where we're like, people are people. people, are people so why should it be? You know, and I don't hate anybody. Mm. And I might not agree with your beliefs and that's totally fine. But like, you're still a human being. You're still, you know, a person to listen to or care about or whatever. And, you know, it's kind of like the, I try to do that with confusionity. Yes, I post a bunch of memes on Instagram and some of them are a little bit incendiary or a little bit <laughs> mocking. But I, yeah. I also like some of these things, people don't understand this, but even when I was a Christian, I would still laugh at these kind of memes that poke fun at Christianity. Like, right. I, I feel like no matter what, like if I am dying of COVID or if I'm dying of cancer, like I'll probably still be posting jokes about it. Like I'm just like my approach toward life is like, I want to be happy and I want to, I have a sense of humor and I'll always look at the light side of things because like while I'm still alive, there's always something to appreciate or to laugh at or to enjoy, you know, uh, to me, health is really important because if you lose your health, like you're just suffering. And, and I, I, I hate to see other people mm-hmm. suffer and I hate to suffer myself. And that's kind of how I go through life, whether it's spiritual suffering or psychological or physical health, like whatever it is, like I just, I try to thrive and live my best life and I want to see other people do that as well. And that's why like I have friends who are they're Christian, you know, like my friend Brian has been on the podcast, the introversion and confusionity podcasts. And like he's Christian still. And when we were friends in high school, I was Christian and he wasn't. And now he's Christian and I'm not. Mm. So we flip. I love but, that. Yeah. But like yep. we still are the best of friends and we still talk. And I, you know, we talk deeply about all these things. And I'm like, at the end of the day, like, I'm like, I'm not out to convince him that his belief system is a lie and he needs to leave it and whatever. It's like, no, like, and we can get into this a little bit later about our thoughts about religion as a construct and what it kind of does for people, whether it's true or not. Mm. But anyway, I just wanted to rattle off a few things there. So, but coming back to your story specifically, so let's get into it. Like, how did you, what brought about this crisis of faith and that transition process of you coming out of it, because it sounded like it was your identity. It was your foundation. Like it was working for you for, I guess about what, like 25 years at that point, 26 years. And, uh, yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. What was that? 25 or maybe 24 when that started. Um, so what happened? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I could say that at Bible school, while I had a meaningful experience and a lot of happy memories with, some great people. That was the first uh, shock to my faith. And for a while, I was very much doubting uh, my Christian faith and what I was being taught. So my my second semester, so in my first year at Bible school, a lot of it was falling apart. And there was a season while I was there that I was thinking, actually, I don't believe this. Because, you know, I'm told all these things about a Bible passage of like, oh, this means this, this means this, this means this. You know, the professors would explain exactly what everything meant. Like this Bible verse means like this. The and the original don't... Greek and Hebrew translations and all that. Yeah, yeah. They would sometimes go into that and they would just very much try to make it clear. I mean, sometimes they would put up a, you know, half decent argument on 
why we believe it means this. And, you know, they tell us, you know, it doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean this. It means this. So they were and stern about back, it. They were like, it is oh, this. Every, everything was black and white. Okay. Everything was black and white. I mean, this is what we believe. And it, and it just goes down to the nuts and bolts, the smallest fragments of each thing. Like, you have to believe it the right way. You know, you have to believe that this verse means this. You know, and you have mm -hmm. all your camps on where you sit between Calvinism and Arminianism and dispensationalism or covenant theology and all these different things, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. Like, what what is correct mm. and you have to you know you have to the goal is to be on the right side of everything yeah so they explain just all down to all the small pieces what everything means and then i would go back to my dorm room and i'd be reading my homework doing my assignments reading through these passages that we discussed in class and it was just it just started to be interesting to me while just looking at it with some for some reason, you know, passages that I had read over and over, but after hearing these persuasive arguments of why everything means specifically this and that and this and that, and then going back to my dorm room, reading through the same scripture and being like, but why? Like, where are you getting that you're so certain yeah. on specifically this? Like, just how specific they were kind of threw me off. Hmm. And I started to question that and be like, okay, I don't think there's enough here that you can really be certain. You know, I'm not doubting mm -hmm. the validity of, you know, this beautiful passage or saying that you're not right, but I'm just saying like, why are you so, you just think it, you just think, you know, everything. Right. So it started to make me doubt the little things. And I was going through a hard time that year is my first year away from home. And I think in some ways I just didn't know how to diagnose that. So I just felt depressed and my confidence went to an all-time low. My insecurities went to an all-time high. I was dealing in my head with being gay and trying to fight that because I knew that wasn't right. So that's uh, another thing. So at that point, you were not out of the closet, I guess. So like nobody knew about it or? Oh, so I would be honest with uh, close friends, you know, uh, the language that we use in evangelical Christianity is same-sex attraction. You know, it's the, the symptom and it's not a sin to be same-sex attracted, but obviously it would be a it sin. Would yeah, be it would sin. be a sin to think it's okay. Okay. And obviously the goal is still to trust God, walk with him, and you will not live a gay life. Mm. And I mean, you could be celibate, but the real goal is then to end up with a woman, you know, mm. and get the wife and kids that most of us wanted. Mm. But so that, that was, anyway, that time at Bible school was definitely hard. And it was a tough adjustment for me. And I was dealing with a lot of emotional stuff. And I think that definitely fueled some of the willingness to ask some of these questions in my head and, you know, shake my fist just a little bit of like, how does all this make sense? And questioning some of the little things down to all the pinpointed things the professors would try to convince me of. Once I started having doubt on that, it did open up a road to question the bigger things and be like, man, if I can't trust right. what you're claiming about these little things and I'm th I'm questioning the ground you're standing on about this. Well then can I really trust you on the big things? Right. Is this book even true? Right. And gosh, I'm not feeling a lot of this God who I used to feel down the road or in the past. I'm not feeling a lot of that right now. I feel a little bit hung out to dry. What the hell is going on? So that that was my first time of really questioning my faith. Uh, I ended up that that summer then in between 
my two years of Bible school, that summer, I had another come to Jesus moment. And it was one day prior to work when I was sitting down reading my Bible. I mean, even in my rebellious phases, I was still in the word every day, having my quiet time, praying out to God. And I was reading the scriptures and I was praying before my work shift at the restaurant, my summer job. And I just ended up hitting my knees. I'm just like, God, I don't understand this book. I don't know how much of it I really understand. And I don't know how to die, uh, how to really put, uh, I don't know what theological camps I belong in. I feel like a heretic in a lot of ways because I don't know how to claim certainty on a lot of this stuff. Yeah. But what I believe in, what I can believe in is you. I can believe in Jesus. Right. I can believe in just this basic stripped down gospel that the world is broken mm-hmm. and we need Jesus. And I can stand for that. You know, and I was just asking God, like, God, I, I, I want to I wanna do right by you. And I want to trust you, even though I don't understand this book. I, I, I just want to be the most stripped down, basic, just carrier of the gospel, you know? Yeah. And what I can represent is Jesus, even though maybe I shouldn't be teaching Sunday school because I don't know what to think about a lot of this, but I can, I can represent Jesus. And then, you know, that whole next year, you know, I was once again, just walking in my faith. And so I, I became a little bit more of just a, a little bit more open-ended kind of Christian to where I just didn't claim to have an answer for everything, but the scriptures and Jesus Christ and the calling of being a Christian and bringing Christ to the world was still my top priority. And that's what I moved forward with for years. But that was like, that was a sort of stepping stone of my faith being shaken and then me finding a way to reconcile it Mm -hmm. and be like, okay, I don't understand this book. It must be my fault, (laughs) but I'm going to keep walking in this. And that's what I did for years. So that was like your early twenties, I guess. Yeah. I mean, that was 19. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, just my first year out of high school, uh, processing those things. Yeah. 18 and 19, uh, processing those things. And then I graduated from Bible school at the age of 20. And I, my whole plan was to be in full-time ministry, uh, be either a overseas missionary or pastor of some sort. What I knew was that my whole life, I wanted to be in ministry. Like my parents, I admired the fact that they were able to not only believe their faith so strongly, but even spend their nine to five doing what they really believe in, Mm -hmm. you know, focusing on ministry. And that's what I wanted. And that's what I longed for. Uh, But I didn't know exactly what next steps to take. I wanted to keep learning and growing. So I came back home to Florida to start college. And little did I know, by the time I finished that degree, I would no longer have many of the aims that I did and have a very different perspective on Christian faith. Hmm. So it was your four years at um, University of Central Florida where you, I guess you were really out of a primarily religious dogmatic uh, zone at that time, right? For the first time in your life, right? No, actually not. So I was, uh, I lived at home uh, in my, uh, where my parents live is 
in the on the campus of their organization, their mission organization. Okay. So still surrounded by all my Christian friends and family. Okay. And I was more a commuter, you know, than anything. And I would just go to class and then I would work and uh, worked part-time, uh, full-time through most of my college. And I was still, I mean, life was church and Bible studies and those were my social groups. So now I was still a hundred percent in my uh, Christian okay. world. Christian bubble. Yeah. hundred percent. Okay. So then what happened? What happened in college that were you, it was the end for you essentially. Yeah. Um, a, a big thing, uh, I had these questions, you know, that like I kind of mentioned, you know, mm-hmm. starting back in college, I had these questions uh, that I ended up really ending up sweeping under the rug and just saying, okay, I don't understand that. And I don't need to, I believe in Jesus. Right. As time went on, I ended up uh, a big thing for me was in a breakup that I had a breakup that I had with a girl that I really loved and we were actually engaged and we actually broke up shortly before the wedding and it, uh, you know, broke both of our hearts. It was a hard thing for both of us. She's a great girl. And it was a, it was a tough experience, but so I assume assume she was Christian and, and she didn't know about, she didn't know about you being gay or. Oh yeah. No, no, no. She knew about, you know, same sex attraction and whatnot. Oh, okay. Uh, but you know, she also knew that I had grown a lot, and that mm. um, you know, the reality was I was also attracted to girls. Uh, that actually happened while I was at Bible school, where I don't know. There was a point when I was nineteen, where suddenly for the first time, I just started like feeling kind of attracted to girls too. And to me, that was a that was just a blessing from God. And like, oh my <laughs> gosh, God has heard my cries. Wow, right? Man, I'll yeah. tell you why God's real. <laughs> Right. I think right. girls are hot. Wow. And uh, the reality was, you know, it it wasn't the same as me being attracted to guys, but it was a level of attraction which gave me a lot of hope. And uh, you know, I you know, I ended up enjoying the physical relationships I had with many girls and yeah, it, it, like the physical relationships were uh pleasing and I w- I was encouraged, okay. you know. It's like, man, I could have the life that I always wanted. Yeah. Being with girls and, fa- and seeing their beauty and being thrilled by it. And, uh, I saw it as such an answer to prayer. So, uh, yeah, after, wow. uh, in my early college years, then I did begin dating and, uh, this girl, beautiful conservative Christian girl that I had actually grown up with for years, we ended up starting a relationship and, getting engaged. It was very quick. It was very, (laughs) it was very, uh, what I'm pretty sure both of us would call unwise. Uh, just, it was young people thinking, Oh, we need to find a godly person to get married to. So you just find that person and you just, okay, we both believe in Jesus. This is going to work. Right. right. Uh, We had a few things working against us like personality, sense of humor, things that we like just didn't connect on as social beings, you know? Right. Uh, my, it was funny. My sense of humor would often offend her and make her uncomfortable. And just talking to her, uh, I uh, compared to her, I'm like super confrontational because I like to talk about things. Oh, is there tension? Let's talk about it. And like, directly. Anyway, to her, yeah, I'm just kind of direct. Yeah. But like compared to her being so far on the other side, I started to feel like a, like an 
abusive person. I don't know. It, it was wow. it was so uncomfortable how I kept like just breaking her heart and scaring her and all this wow. stuff. And at the same time, then I was in a very odd relationship because then I am constantly scared of saying doing the wrong thing. So I'm walking on eggshells. Egg right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> her and I were both uh, not upright people in our Christian communities. So we had a lot of people's respect and. You know, they knew that both of us really cared about people and we really cared about each other. And most importantly, we really cared about God and we really cared about living a life that honors God and living a life of reaching out to others, teaching them about Jesus. I mean, so we were a model pair, but, you know, there were a couple people in my life that were sounding alarm. I'm like, OK, some things don't look right. Some of this doesn't feel right. And I had one buddy in particular who was more discerning than the rest of them, just being like, this is not good, Tyler. And he never liked it from the beginning. And I didn't understand why. He didn't like her? He's, he didn't like our relationship. Or the he thought didn't of feel right about together. He just didn't. And he knew both of us for years. Okay. And he was one of my closest friends and still is. And he just, he just had that level of discernment when <laughs> looking back, there were so many blinking red lights. And a lot of people weren't catching them, but he was from the beginning. You know, mm-hmm. he liked both of us. He appreciated both of us, but mm-hmm. somehow he just had this level of discernment, like from the beginning of, huh, yeah, Tyler, I don't like this. Mm-hmm. And this isn't right. And this isn't right. And and to me, I was just madly uh, <laughs> Twitter baited. So I just wasn't hearing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but did he, really finally, things work out. did he finally get through to you, essentially? Uh, no, no. So us breaking up was her call and it was hard. Mm. Um, well, okay. Were, she called off the engagement. I actually broke off the relationship, uh, cause she still wanted to date and she was then like asking me to like, no, let's still date. But then I said no. So it kind of was me breaking off the relationship. Uh, so that was really hard. That was a trial, you know, the largest trial I had ever gone through, but just like many trials in my life, it's the hard times where you grow closer to God. Right. So I was growing in my faith and just clinging to God and really feeling so much strength in my faith during that time. Okay. Then I mean, I then even dated another girl for a little bit of time, some months after, which was kind of quick, but uh, just shows the weird, I don't know, Christian dating can be weird. But uh, <laughs> then about like almost a year later, my fiance or my ex-fiance and I actually got back together and we were together for a little while, kind of sporadic and unofficial, but we kept dating and we were then like talking about marriage again. And it was weird. It was, it was rather unhealthy because it was like in and out, up and down, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But uh, then, then she broke it off. And by that point, I really, I loved her. So that was tough. Like I just had such like a, just a deep level of commitment and care about that girl. Mm -hmm. And I was imperfect and she was imperfect, but I really thought we could make it work. And all I wanted was her. So it just shattered me. And that, that breakup was harder than the first one. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, meaning it was harder than when the engagement broke off. This losing her for the last time was the hardest. And that started a trial. But unlike other trials in my life where I felt I was getting closer to God, for whatever reason, I entered this dry desert of just sheer pain 
where there was no relief and no word from God and no closeness to God and spiritual growth. And what I ended up doing just in that deep level of mourning, as I describe it, it's like I was low enough to finally just, I had nothing else to do, but lift up the rug and see what I'd been sweeping under there for so long. Mm -hmm. And then I just ended up just being bombarded with, gosh, like this concept of hell, really? Everyone's going to go to hell. And like, honestly, where I was sitting, it's like, okay, I don't feel God. I don't, I don't even know how to pray right now. I'm just hurting and I'm confused. And when I pray, it feels one-sided. It's like, I don't feel like I have a relationship with God right now. Yeah. What if, what if somebody lived their life like me and never spoke to God? Would they go to hell? Cause I know not, not to like toot my own horn while very imperfect. I knew that I cared and I knew that I, I had a good heart, quote unquote, you know? And it's like, I'm not evil. Like what if somebody just doesn't know about God? What if somebody is just hurting and that's why they don't pray? Like, are they going to go to hell? And then just, geez, if so, that God's a monster. And then I was just thinking through this stuff, just more than I ever had before. And honestly, um, I think, you know, I was hurting a lot with that relationship and it kind of felt better to kind of distract myself with something else. But the reality was the more I questioned my faith and the more like angry I felt at God. And then even when I was for the first time thinking, wait, I might not even believe this. All of that time, I never thought I could actually leave Christian faith. You know, I thought I was really going through something. And even when it got so far as me telling my friends, man, I, I don't believe this. Like, I can't, I can't lead worship anymore. I can't lead Bible study. I, I don't want to go to Bible study anymore. I don't feel comfortable with this because I don't think I believe this anymore. I feel more like a non-Christian. Mm. And even saying those words to people and friends and people being freaked out of their yeah, minds. Right. I, the whole time I thought there's no way, like I'm still, I'm coming back. You know, I, I'm, I'm being honest about this stuff cause I'm processing some shit, but I'm coming back to God because I believe in God. Like even when I'm questioning the story of it, I know God's real and I, I, God is everything. And he's, he's going to bring me back. He's going to prove himself to me. He's going to shake my world. He's going to destroy my doubts. He's, he, it's all going to change. But I never would have thought that the reality was my faith was literally just falling apart. Yeah. And I never thought this would happen. But I end up coming out of that season as a non-believer. And wow. that that started a different road I'd never expected in my life. And a lot of that happened in um, 2017, just solidified itself that I don't believe this story. And the more that went on that year just solidified it for me to the point, you know, by the end of that year, it's like, man, that <laughs> now life needs to be figuring out how to move forward. Cause I don't think I will ever believe really a bit of this again. Wow. It's amazing. Oh God. There's so many things there. Thoughts I have, like there's so many parallels really with your story and mine actually, but uh, mm. my, my, my departure was very similar. Um, really, but the the one thing I was going to say toward the end there is it's funny how for 25 years or for me, it was like 30, 31 years, you can have this so-called foundation, right? 
this foundation yeah. on the yeah. solid ground god on christ, oh yeah christ the solid rock i stand right oh yeah so solid and then within a couple months or sometimes even faster it could just be like swept away <laughs> and, and that in itself is a story of like like wow like how much was it really a foundation like a foundation can't just be swept away so quickly like that right and then that kind of thing would get me thinking like maybe it was all an illusion all along of a foundation you know maybe mm. it was a story that i was buying into and convincing myself of even the way you said as you were slipping away from the faith you were like no 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 god's going to bring me back I, i'm going to come back to god like you're still oh, yeah. spinning in your mind that story of you know and and i think especially as children like from a young age like it just certain things become so ingrained in us it's like it's like breathing air it's like eating food it's like it's just that's the reality we live in and hmm. it, it doesn't even matter if it's true or not like if 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 no parent or anybody ever tells a child who grows up like oh you know santa is not real right if nobody ever comes hmm. and tells the child like you know they'll be like elf or whatever in the movie yeah. you know it's like they'll be yeah. 35 years old and still you know waiting for santa to come down the chimney santa here i know him i know him you know right so you know for it's a it's a strange thing i'm not going to go off on the santa tangent but like it's weird how we lie to children about santa and then eventually we're like oh by the way that's a lie but <laughs> but yeah no 100 but yeah the point is is like as children we absorb these things and it becomes our reality but as we enter into adulthood, I think for a lot of us, we question these things. And for some people, like who might have gone through similar experiences as you and me, it's too much to leave it behind. And because I do think like for you to walk away, for me to walk away, we do so reluctantly and we do so, it's very difficult to do so. It's not an easy thing yeah. to do because we're, oh, we're leaving behind our social network, our framework, our, our foundation, what we thought was our foundation for our whole life and salvation and eternity with God and heaven and bliss. And we're leaving all of that behind. And it's kind of like, why would we leave it behind? And, yeah. and the answer, I think, for you and me is just like, well, we just don't see it as being true. And, and the right. thought of us living a lie is just too much. For us to bear like i just i i can't live a lie like i'm too honest of a person you know and i don't say that to brag or whatever but like and i don't know if 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 you felt this way too as you were leaving but one of the things i thought about as i was leaving the faith was like i've always looked at myself as like along the way like you like we talked about earlier when we were in it we were truly in it we the mm -hmm. scripture the lifestyle like we we believed it and we lived it and I was completely 100% honest and genuine as I did that. But like now as I leave, I I cried out to God. I cried out to God so many times, like it's just over the last few years of my church life. And then even after I left the church, I still would cry out to God. And, you know, I wanted God. Like I, I desired God. I wanted that heavenly father who loves me and, and that, because I look around the world and the world is shit and like people are shit. And it's mm. like, I want this divine blessed pure like amazing awesomeness to to yeah. that, that loves me i want that so yeah, he was I, the one answer yeah and and i cried out to god and it's like nothing 
Like it was just like, I'm talking to my ceiling, like kind of like we were describing it, like you're just on your own. Like, so, but my, my feeling still to this day is that like, look, if, if God is real and Jesus is real and all that stuff, let's say, who knows, um, if I'm standing on judgment day before God, I will be honest with him. And the same way I feel like I've lived an honest life and I will just be like, look, Lord, I cried out to you and I reached out to you in my moments of need in my darkest times and there was nothing. And so I, I moved on accordingly, like to live my life. Like I didn't commit suicide. I didn't like, I found another way to live where I could still maintain my sanity and thrive and be happy and live my relatively few years on this planet and, and be okay. And, 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 yeah. be, and be good to other people to, as a creative guy, to, to bring art, to create things, to share my stories and experiences, like to try to make the world a better place, essentially. Like that was my life. And right. I feel like if I'm standing on judgment day and God hears, it's like, I don't even need to tell him this because if he's God, he already knows this. He knows my heart. He knows my story. He's seen it all. So I'm just, even mm-hmm. by vocalizing it, I'm just repeating it to God because he already knows this. And my feeling was like, God, if you, you know this, like, you know me. And if you know all this and you still want to cast me to hell for this, then to me, that says more about God than it does about me. You know, like the fact that he would callously, you know, send people to burn in hell for, because we didn't do everything right. According to what those religious scholars were telling you, like you have, it has to be exactly this, 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 and this, or else you're going to hell. I'm like, Really? If that's the case, then I'm sorry I got it wrong, as as did right. most of all humanity for all eternity. Like, but if this is why you just created us humans to be on this, you know, kind of like a fish out of water in the earth, like no instruction manual, flapping around on the boat and like co- completely unable to figure things out and function and discern what's true and what's not for 60 years or 80 years or whatever, and then we die... And then we're standing before you, and then you cast us to go burn in hell for eternity. Really, Jesus Christ! If that's yeah. the story, if that's what all of this really was, I'm just kind of like, all right, fine. Like, I, I don't even know what that means to be like in heaven in a system that's that fundamentally corrupt. Hundred percent. If so, that's heaven, I have yeah. to pass. Like, just out of moral <laughs> right. duty. Like, right. I mean, just going back to Noah's Ark. You know, like I was processing as I was leaving faith. I was just like. Okay, like the Jesus that I believed in is the guy in the ark that says, no, this isn't right and jumps out of the ark. You know, just like maybe he can save somebody, maybe just whatever it is, he can't be a part of what's happening, you know, Mm. and that's the Jesus that I believed in. So I was understanding that, like, I, I, I didn't, I didn't see it this way. And now I see it this way. I, I see some of these things that I don't think are right. And it doesn't match up with what I always believed in. And that kind of helped in understanding that Christian friends of mine, they don't believe in an evil God. They don't wake up every day and think about, you know, the wrathful God who destroys the non-believers and burns in hell, burns them in hell. They they get up every day and pray to the God that they believe loves them yeah. and wants to restore right. the world and reach the hopeless with hope and just realizing that I, I had I had to remember that to give perspective because I don't think it does anybody good to become a raging atheist that goes around telling Christians about how evil their God is because the reality is you just 
you, you won't be understood because to Christians, it's like, no, you don't get it. God's love. Yeah. You are angry. You don't understand God is love. Right. Uh, but it, but it's such a, oh, it, it's such an adventure when, yeah, like you said, I mean, just the, the story's falling apart and it just breaks on you. And going yeah. back to the Santa analogy, you know, it's like, it was, it started a whole new journey for me that I never expected, you know, to, to suddenly not believe what I always believed. Mm -hmm. And the place that that put me then being in a fully Christian, so deep in the Christian community and family, it became a giant conflict and it was a mess and it was scary. And the reality is like Santa, if you don't believe in Santa, you don't believe in Santa. You know, it's not a choice you're making. I don't believe, I, I, I don't choose to not believe in Santa, neither do you. <laughs> it, it, we just literally don't believe it. And if right. somebody said, no, but you should believe it, you right. need to believe it. We don't know what to say because what right. does that even mean? Right. I don't believe in it. You know, it's like, I'm not making a choice here. I'm just saying I don't buy the story. Right. Yeah. But because as I was leaving Christian faith and I had to be honest with people and say, hey, I'm sorry, I, I don't believe this story anymore. I yeah. just don't believe it. And then it brought a whole new spin on my whole life experience and on my whole deconstruction of my faith. Because I think, like I said at the beginning of this call, I was not burned by the church. It worked for me. Christianity was my hope, my salvation, my strength, my peace of mind, my joy. It was all the best things in life. In a raging storm that life is, Christianity was that peace. And leaving faith though that's where the burning started and suddenly the burning i have the burning meaning that like i wasn't burned by the church like i didn't leave christianity because oh, i was upset because okay. i was hurt okay by them but i started getting hurt and it really caught me off guard when i had to start telling people i'm sorry i don't believe this anymore uh, okay. So sorry, I can't. I can't so be a part of Bible studies, church. I'm not coming to these things because I need time to process this. I don't buy this story anymore. And then that's where things changed. And I want to be clear. I don't think the Christians in my life, friends, family, community. I don't think ill of them at all. And I'm still close with many of them today. But I think we all went through a trial together. And people often didn't know how to talk to me at that time. Same way that I have completely messed up with other people in their trials. You know, sometimes we don't know how to help mm -hmm. people when they're going through stuff. Yeah. And definitely in my Christian communities, it was an interesting experience because the people that I thought Christians, I thought they have a monopoly on love and understanding and insight on the answers of life and grace. And what I found is my Christian faith was falling apart. I had to come to my Christian friends and family and be like, man, I don't believe this anymore. I'm sorry. And then I was going through the hardest thing in my life. And what I ended up getting was judgment and mm -hmm. rebuking and people telling me that I was in sin mm -hmm. and that I needed to believe. And I'm like, no, you don't get it. I I, I, I don't believe it. I want to believe it, but I don't. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, no, the Santa you, analogy you, is a good, that's a good example, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's the sin. The, the weird thing in the scriptures is that, like, obviously the grand sin is being a non-believer, but you don't choose whether or not you believe something. 
I mean, you either believe it's fact or not, right? right? So right. it's like, oh my gosh, it was like a situation where I was like, oh, I'm sorry, this fell apart for me. I don't believe it anymore. And to me, it was a trial that I was facing and it was the hardest one I'd ever gone through, but people didn't know how to meet me there. Um, it was, yeah, just a, a really hard thing. So that became, uh, that that's the hardest thing that I've ever been through, you know, to this day, the, the falling apart of my Christian faith. It was about a year a year and a half, a year at least of just really just a, a torturous time yeah. of just three words. I'm not okay. Going through my head really for a year. And, uh, so this was like 2017 so and 2018. Yeah, this was 2017 mostly. Yeah. Like okay. that, that year of 2017 was just a lot of torment for me. It was really hard. And, uh, I'm so thankful for my family and friends and people around me. But during that time, I was really going through a personal crisis. And uh, it's interesting when you know some people for years yeah. and you, geez, I mean, in my Christian culture, it's called discipleship. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're like shoulder to shoulder with your buddies, with your brothers, and you build one another up in the faith and you grow together Hold and you each challenge other one another. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Accountability mm-hmm. partners, prayer partners, and like, hey man, like how are you growing in the Lord? Yeah. And hey, you know, what do you what what do you need to do better? And hey, like are you reaching out to people in your life to tell them about Jesus? And you know, it's like it, you you go through all these experiences together. You go through trials, you hold one another's arms up, you point one another to the Lord. I mean, it's like you really know each other and you know one another's hearts. It was the most puzzling thing to then reach my crisis of faith and have so many in my Christian community thinking that I was choosing sin over God, that I was, yeah. that I was like bailing. Yeah. And it was so confusing to then like look people in the eyes sometimes with tears and be like, no, 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 this is what I want more than anything. Christian faith, a relationship with God, but I, right. I, I don't believe it anymore. Yeah. I'm really struggling with this, but I don't believe it anymore. And you can't, and I'm not going to act lie. like I believe it. Yeah, you can't no, lie. Right. absolutely not. And definitely not my personality. Yeah. I, I don't have a gauge for that. And it, the trial that was so personal in my, in like mentally in my head of like, Oh, I don't believe what I always believed. But then it became like it hits every area of your life because your support system, your social system, your family, all these things were also built around my faith. So all of it was falling apart. So I thought I was losing everything. It was really hard. And it was a it was a tougher time financially for me. I was still going to school and working full time and in a house that I couldn't afford. I had two roommates in my house to pay, you know, pay rent for bedrooms to help me pay the bills. And, um, it was a stressful time and all that, all the while working full time, going to school, trying to get by, then I'm going through this chaos in my head 24 seven and having suddenly shaky ground with friends and family who had respected me. And now they were like concerned I'd influence their kids. And it's like, wait, no, I'm, I'm just Tyler. Yeah. I'm just Tyler. I'm not trying to be bad. I'm right. trying to stay alive. And I, I was turning to alcohol. I was drinking far too much, mm-hmm. uh, just in the comfort of my own home. Uh, and it was just a very stressful time. And uh, I came out of that. And I think as I describe it, just like a terrible breakup. 
you know, when you're just so shattered and you get up every day and you somehow just, you know, just fight through it and you're just a broken person. But like every day, like, I mean, time just heals the worst of pain. Right. And you just, every day you wake up and eventually you're like waking up in the morning and you're not like 99% dead. You're just like 88% dead, (laughs) you know? And it's just like, you're just doing a little bit better and you just a little bit less constant screaming of agony in your head. And eventually it's a hum. And eventually you're waking up and it's like, Oh, I I don't feel terrible today. You know? And it's Mm -hmm. just that sort of thing that time heals just like a breakup. And my breakup, with Jesus was the worst breakup to date was my worst breakup I ever went through. And it was really hard, but you know, time heals some of these things. And really, I would say by the end of 2017, I was in a much, much healthier spot. And Mm. it was then about that path forward of, okay, I didn't choose this. I don't love it. My friends and family, I need to give them grace because they didn't choose it either. And what matters most to them I don't believe in anymore. So Mm -hmm. it's a hard trial for all of us, for parents who want you to be a godly man. You know, it's like you have to try to see things from other people's perspective and recognize, I don't feel like I'm always treated right or understood, but they're good people. They really are. And, you know, I'm, I'm an imperfect person (laughs) and I've definitely been imperfect over this year when I was in constant agony mentally. And, you know, now I need to focus on, learning and growing and living this life that I didn't choose, you know, Mm -hmm. even the facets of it that I am not happy about, you know, it's like, life's not fair. So, yeah. Oh, well, like work at it. And my life became uh, focused on no longer having to try to figure out the scriptures and figure out arguments for or against the Bible. Instead it was like, okay, I don't believe this anymore. Now I can move on. And now Mm -hmm. it's about, caring about my family and connecting with them despite our differences. Yeah. I was going to ask specifically, like, it sounds like you had some Christian friends who it didn't go so well with after you left the faith, but like, how has it been with your family? I mean, with your siblings, uh, are you the black sheep of the family or, or do you have any siblings who also left the church? Or? Yeah. So it's funny. Like growing up, I was the opposite of a black sheep. You know, I was a kid who, uh, definitely did not cause a lot of problems and never wanted to. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was not the black sheep of the family. It was just very funny and very strange to then suddenly be in that place where Tyler is the one on everyone's prayer list and, you know, pray for Tyler. Mm-hmm. He's, he's going down the wrong road. And, you know, it was just hashtag pray for experience. Tyler. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It was just, it's a mess. Uh, yeah, re- really hard for family and things like that. Uh, most of my friends, we, we really got through it. Some, uh, just a couple, just a couple friendships were affected what feels like permanently, you know, and that was, that was hard. There's a couple close friendships that you just saw the impact and never recovered. A friend of mine told me that I'd broken their trust mm. and you know Basically, the ironic I would thing? need to they, earn their trust back, but they, I can't earn they, their trust back because I broke their trust yeah. by losing faith. But like, right. I didn't choose to do that. So yeah. it's like, it was a weird thing where my trial 
was turned into like an offense towards them. Right. It's like, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry. Like this breaks my heart, but I, I can't fix this because yeah. I didn't mean to. <laughs> uh, I was about to say the, the ironic thing is if you were to fake it and lie, essentially lie to your friend that you're still a Christian, you still believe in the story, that would actually be more something for him to mistrust because you would not be being genuine with your friend. hundred percent. hundred percent. How do you even do that? Twist. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, there's a lot of different Christians out there, you know, like we discussed a while ago, like there's just nominal Christians yep. who hardly even know what they believe and their life doesn't reflect anything yep. very Christian anyway, but they just call themselves a Christian. So I was thinking in my head during certain points, like, oh, I, I can, I don't have to believe this, but I can just kind of be Christian culture. I can call myself a Christian. I was trying to find middle ground to where, to my benefit and all the other people in my life, we could make this work. And, you know, I even dated a Christian girl and I was kind of like, you know, and she knew my situation, but like I wait, was wait, wait. After, kind of Christian. After 2017, you dated a Christian Oh, yeah. Girl? Oh, yeah. No, okay. I've dated a couple of girls, a few girls since then. And, uh. Yeah, yeah. The, Unequally yoked. Coming, coming around to being gay was, uh, that that took a while, even after Christian faith. I mean, I definitely, uh, yeah, kept bouncing that one back and forth. Mm. But, but yeah, unequally yoked. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was discovering that uh, as I tried to, like, even just identify as Christian, even though, if you ask me, I don't actually believe the story, believe the Bible, uh, yeah, I was realizing that that didn't work for me. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, a great way to see how that doesn't work is being in a Christian mm -hmm. relationship yeah. <laughs> and going to their Baptist church and being like, oh my God, right. I, I got to get out. This is needles in my eyes. Yeah, because you, you stopped know, going like, to church for a period of time there, right? Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah. And then to go back, yeah. it's like, oh, oh my God. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's it just pain. <laughs> it's just agony, like people splitting up to pray for one another. I'm like, oh my God, get me out of here. I just don't, I just don't connect with what's happening here. You know, yeah. nothing against that culture and those beliefs. I just, uh, personally, I don't connect yeah. with it. It's if people really... are going through something, I need to do something for them. Tangible. Yeah. I can't just say, Pray oh, hey, Jay, sorry it. you're going through a hard time. I'll be praying for you. Right. I, I, I don't believe I'm doing anything for you if I do that. So right. how about instead of me standing here pretending to pray for you, like, I don't know, tell, tell me what you need. And maybe I, think, I can help. I think this is the thing that really it sucks is that I think it's a similar thing with like masks and in a sense the vaccine. I'm not going to get all into that, but like <laughs> like prayer. I I feel like what I'm bringing up here is this point of like this feeling of helplessness. Like you care about another person and you see them suffering or they're in trouble or afraid and mm. there's something you want you naturally want to do something to help them and sometimes there's situations where there's nothing you can do like they have terminal cancer mm. they have three weeks left to live there's nothing you can do to save them or protect them or anything like that and but there's still this feeling that we have because we care that we still feel like we have to do something. And the reality is, even if the prayer is not actually doing anything to cure their cancer or whatever, it at least satisfies this human desire that like, at least I'm, it's a form of doing something. 
if that makes sense. Mm. It's like, and I think that's often why people pray or like people don't care. It's the same thing with the masks. Like people don't care to look at the data and be like, oh, I guess the mask mandates don't work at all. If, if you just look at the data, it doesn't work at all. But <laughs> they still will wear a mask because they feel like at least I'm doing something to stop the spread or, you know, you know what I mean? It's right. like, it's the yeah, same no, thing with 100%. prayer. It's, it's like, like doing something, even if it might not be doing a lot, but like just the, the security of feeling like you're doing something. I mean, in Christian's defense, they literally believe that prayer is like the most powerful thing you can do. Right. Right. Um, but you're right. From like our perspective, we just have to recognize like, <laughs> like in their head, they're, they're trying to do something. Yeah. Like as I came out of religion, as I came out of the faith, like I'm just like, wow, prayer is completely useless. Like in terms of uh, achieving some end, but I, I feel like the purpose of prayer is kind of what I described. It, it it satisfies this feeling of like, oh, my friend is sick with COVID or something. And what can I do? I'll, I'll pray about you, brother. I'll pray about you, sister. Like just, you know, God will heal you. I pray. And it's kind of like yeah. they can't, the truth is they can't do anything to help their friend out. So they pray and they believe that that prayer will do something. And it makes them feel better that I'm doing something, even though it's kind of just right. not really doing anything to the person. I mean, how many right. times in life throughout human history have people prayed healing for a loved one or healing or this or pray and that person just still dies? Or you pray for safe travel for your child and they die in the plane crash. It's like, what's going to, I mean, my take is what's going to happen is going to happen, whether you pray for it or not, you know, and that's coming for from sure. Christians would say, well, you're a doubting Thomas or that's why you're, <laughs> but I'm I like, definitely am. but I'm like, no, but at a time there was a time when I believed in prayer and I believed it would do yeah. something. So I wasn't the doubting Thomas, but after a lifetime of seeing ineffective prayer and like, coming to this realization that like, it is what it is. Like things happen for a reason, you know, and whether you want to chalk it all up to science or human nature or just patterns or whatever, shit happens. Shit happens right. every day. Some of it seems random. Some of it seems cruel. Some of it just seems, you know, arbitrary, whatever, but like shit happens every day. And to me, and, and I want to ask you a little bit about your life sort of post-religion, but for me, I think how I've learned to better deal with things, whether it's COVID, whether it's lockdowns, whether it's mandates, whether it's like, is for me to just be like, okay, all right, well, that shit's happening now. How am I going to adapt to it? How am I going to react hmm. to it? And that is where I have things in my control, like what I can do about yeah. it. And even though it seems like society post-2020 is the government, like in all these things, like taking further and further and further control over my very choice of yep. my being, of my body, of, you know, it's like, uh, I, I don't like that trend because having come out of religion, you know, I, I want to be free to make my own choices and decisions for my own personal happiness and health and my life. But I've gotten better at that. And I think by coming out of faith and out of, cause like this trust that I used to have in God is no more. And once you let go of that, of course it's scary. It's, it's hurtful. It's, it's painful that process. But like, once you get through that, you start to realize like, Oh, okay, well I'm on my own in this universe. And you know, there's yeah. a few people who care about me and that's great. I can count on a few people, but ultimately it's like, okay, it's really about stepping up and taking personal responsibility for your actions. And I think people 
in large part fail to do that. Like as a society, like, Mm. you know, people blame so quickly, like even like, I don't know how you felt about this through leaving God. I don't think you probably felt like this, but like maybe moments, but probably it's not the overall arc of your narrative, but like to blame God even, right? Like I don't blame God and I don't even blame the people in the Mm. church who let me down or whatever. I'm just kind of like, no, it is what it is. In, In a sense, like, when I, I used to be bitter toward people in the church, you know, like people like just, a, I, I've talked about it on the Confucianity podcast before, so I'm not going to reiterate it completely, but just in a nutshell, my Christian brothers and sisters, they all got married and disappeared and left. So I, I was left on my own around 30 mm. and I just felt abandoned. And that's when I was really crying out to God because that's all I, I was like, Lord, fine. If I'm not going to get married, if I'm not going to have love and romantic love and have a family and all these things, if that is your will for me, okay. But please just bless me with your presence. Like, please bless me. Just Jesus, you're all I need. That's what all the songs mm. say. That's what all the yeah. sermons say. Jesus, right. lover of my soul. Just you and me, Jesus. Jesus, like, lover of my soul. Jesus, lover of my soul. That was my prayer for a while. That was my desire. It's like, fine. Like Job, I will, I will not, you know, insult you, Lord. I will not hurl stones mm. at you. I will accept my suffering, accept my lot in life and and forego all of the pleasures of this world. And even if it's good things like marriage and kids and all these wonderful things, I will forego all that. I will not curse your name, God, because you're all I need. Just please bless me with your presence and your peace and all those things that are the promises of the Bible. Yep. And it was crickets. It was nothing. <laughs> it was just absolute nothing. So, yep. um, but oh yeah, the point of me bringing that up is like there was a time where I was bitter toward the people in the church or like feeling like racially ostracized because I was always the only Indian guy no matter where I went. It was the church was always white people and Koreans and and some black people here and there, but like it was I, I was always the ever I can't even say it. I was always the only Indian guy. Yeah, I was always the only Indian guy. So sorry, Indian guy? Yeah, yeah. So, Indian guy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so, cool. I didn't know you're from India. Well, I'm, I'm not from India. My parents are from India, but like I'm fully right. American. But yeah, my right, 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 racial right. identity is Indian. But yeah, that's um, cool. But what part are they from? They're Andhra Pradesh. Oh, okay. It's a big, cool. Yeah, big, my, my big sister, area. my sister has lived in India for years. But that's cool. Oh, Sorry, wow. go ahead. Okay. But um, yeah. But my point of bringing that, I was like, I used to blame those. Christian people like, oh, like, oh, why would these Korean girls not date me? And they would always go for the white guy or why would these white, you know, it's like, and I used to feel resentment and like racial ostracization. Mm. And I used to blame them for my unhappiness. Meanwhile, there were all these other girls on the dating apps, like outside of the church who were more than happy to date me. In fact, there was one girl who in a way is the one that got away, but there was a girl in college who I met. And we immediately clicked the first time I met her. And like, we had this chemistry, not, I'm not even talking about physical chemistry, but just like, she's one of the most interesting people I've ever met in my whole life. Yeah. And I screwed that up in a way, because we could have rode with that, but she was not Christian. And I was super Christian at that time. And I did not want to be unequally yoked. So I, <laughs> that I did not allow that to go anywhere. So what happened was I, when I left, religion is I started to date non-Christians and 
I, I lost my virginity and I started to like have a fuller life romantically. Oh no, I'm so sorry, man. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Terrible. Heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah. So it, as I entered into my thirties, like I started to live and date and, you know, I dated, you know, Asian girls, white girls, black girls, Hispanic girls, just like, just all over. And yeah, I'm like, just the whole buffet. Yeah. Like a whole variety of people. And, but none of them were Christian. It, like that whole religious factor was, and my dating life got a lot easier. So, <laughs> yeah, kind of what I'm getting here is like I had to deal with more racism within the church because people are very much more like, you know, I'm not going to get all of that. But the point is, I was blaming them for my unhappiness. Mm. And I think what yeah. my bigger point here is like that is a natural tendency of people is to not accept personal responsibility for your decisions is to not blame yourself, but to blame other people or to blame God. And I was guilty of that as well. I didn't blame God so much. It was more like I was dis disappointed with God or I was sad that I felt like God wasn't even there, like he didn't even exist. That was more the feeling. So I didn't really have anger toward God. I felt resentment toward specific people in the church who kind of, again, my the ostracization. But like, I didn't have that anger toward God. It was more like I was sad that... I just felt like God didn't exist and I needed him to exist. I needed him to be there to me because when everything else was falling apart, but back to the point of what we're talking now about, like coming out of religion and, and how we move forward. I, I just feel like there's a serious lack of personal responsibility and really like, like I finally came out of it maybe by a couple of years later, age 32, 33, where I was like, I'm not mad at these people anymore in the church. Because I realized, like, mm, I was the one yeah. choosing to put myself in that position to be around people like that in that Christian bubble. That was my choice. They didn't put a bullet to, uh, they didn't put a gun to my head, you know. Mm. So then I, I mm -hmm. accepted, like, okay, that's on me. That's on me. And once I did that, I was able to see those people. I see all the, dude, like walking around the Upper West Side, New York. All you see when I was there. Asian girl, white guy, Asian girl, white guy, Asian girl, white guy, or like Asian girl, Asian girl, like, I'm sorry, Asian girl, Asian guy. Like that, that was all I would see. And right. like, I could look at that now and I'm like, oh, okay, fine. I laugh at it because it's such a cliche, you know, in New York city in the Presbyterian church at Redeemer, like that whole scene was all Koreans and white guys and Christians. Like, so it is what it is, <laughs> but yeah, I don't, yeah, my yeah. point is, is like, I'm not mad about it anymore. I look at it, I laugh, I'm like, okay, fine, that is what it is. It's such a cliche to me at this point. But I'm like, it doesn't personally affect me anymore because I've removed myself from that environment. And I'm off thriving and doing my own thing, at least for a while there in the 30s. But now it's like a whole nother story, like post-COVID and all this other political and everything else that separates me from yeah. everybody else. But like, but yeah, my big point there is like personal responsibility. And I think coming out of Christianity for me and that's what I want to ask you about your views coming out of Christianity, but like how you deal with the shit of life. And, you know, for me, it's like just owning up and taking ownership of your life and your decisions and accepting responsibility for the ramifications of your thoughts and actions and decisions. And I'm, yeah. I'm okay with that now yeah. moving forward. So what about you? Yeah, no, I think that's huge. Personal responsibility and coming to peace with, yourself and where you're at and then coming to peace with others and where they're at. Mm -hmm. And that can be such a process. 
And I love what you mentioned, you know, regarding even at the churches, the churches you were at with the different, even just races and the, yeah, white guy, Asian girl or whatever, you know, like maybe that's what all the pairings are and maybe that's how they like it. Maybe for whatever reason that just works for them and they love it. And it's like recognizing to the (laughs) eventually, oh, there's nothing wrong with that if that's what they like. And just yeah, realizing just, that I don't belong they're in not that, the problem. Yeah, I don't belong in that <laughs> circle at all. That's all it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'll go elsewhere. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an Indian man, and something in the dating realm here is not working. Right. Maybe it has to do with me being Indian. Maybe I just have a sore personality. No, just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, yeah, just recognizing that, okay, these people have whatever they're doing, and it works for them, and finding peace with that. And, yeah. you know, a story in my experience uh, what was so meaningful? Uh, I I was, like I said, you know, I wasn't, I had no, uh, I had no beef with Christians prior to leaving Christian faith. And then when I started leaving, then I felt very turned on. I felt very betrayed. Yeah. People turning to me and telling me I was betraying them. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not trying to do anything. Right. I'm hurting right now, you know? And uh, I was getting very angry and I was, you know, then hanging out in more atheist spaces and like online, things like that, you know, getting a part of different non-religious groups, hearing about other people's experiences. A lot of people have been treated very wrongly by their Christian families, Christian communities. And eventually they just put their middle fingers up and they walk out of their Christian families. And then they just find a home with atheist friends and things like that and their whole life becomes anti-christian and all that stuff whatever that works for them but for me you know i was on a path of getting very bitter and it was it was scary and it was dark and i'd call my brother and i'd just be like man fuck these christians they're so fucked up the poison of the earth they're (laughs) so arrogant they think they know everything screw all of them they are poison I don't ever want to have anything to do with them. I'm reaching my limit. And, you know, my brother, Shane, I credit him with just saving me to such a huge degree. Mm -hmm. And Shane is somebody that I used to disapprove of some of his faith perspectives and even some of where he drew lines and different things. Mm -hmm. To me, he was a watered down Christian. He was playing with the world. He was kind of, you know, getting a little worldly mm. and that was a huge offense in our culture <laughs> the whole the whole point is being unstained from the world being yep. more more and more pious and anyway i had judged him in my previous You're life not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind exactly amen brother yeah i was concerned about my brother shane the the reality was i was just a very judgmental person shane was right. Right. <laughs> shane was a great christian right. but yeah to me he was not hitting the mark. I remember talking with friends of mine, man, you know, I just can't go to Shane for real, real encouragement and discipleship. Cause you know, Shane's just, you know, watered down kind of worldly. It's just funny. You know, wow. it's just, it was just judgment from me. Anyway, Shane became this, uh, just, he held me in place. He, uh, changed my life really. So I was just on this path of just being very upset. I was being hurt, feeling hurt by Christians in my family, in my friend groups, in my communities. And I was really struggling and I'd get on the phone with Shane fuming and he would let me just go to town and say my piece, say all of it. 
And Shane would just have a way of being like, oh, well, huh. Yeah, it sounds like they're kind of narrow-minded. sounds like they are judging you. And it sounds like they're, you know, really considering your perspective and offense. Like, do you think anybody, do you think this is just a Christian thing? Or do you think other people can be like this too? Like atheists, do you think atheists are like this sometimes and thinking that, that Christians are dumb? Like you feel like you're dumb or you're treated like you're dumb. Do you think atheists think that they're superior? You know, like is the superiority complex one-sided that Christians have? Or is this a human thing we're dealing with? Right. You know, like, do you need to be mad at Christians or do you need to be mad at the fact that humans can get in their tribe and think that they know everything and it's us, them, and everybody else is wrong. Mm -hmm. And anyway, I would call Shane just so angry about Christians, their superiority complex, their arrogance. And Shane would just have a way of just like kind of bringing me down to earth. Helping you put it in perspective that this is like just a thing that humans do. And hundred percent. And then just learning, you know, by the end of the phone call, my blood pressure coming down (laughs) and recognizing I'm having a hard time with humans in my life, not Christians. Mm. And we are all humans. And the last thing I want to do, if I'm angry and hurt by Christians superiority complex, thinking I'm right, sorry, thinking they're right and I'm wrong and I'm less than them and blah, blah, blah. If, if I'm upset at them thinking they're better than me, then I want to be an example of not thinking I'm better than them, right? Like I don't want to become an angry atheist that yeah. then thinks that Christians are dumb, right? which is the same thing that I'm feeling from my Christians. You know, yeah. it's just like, oh gosh. So I'm just like, okay, Shane just really kept me grounded during these times. And when I was so at risk for just becoming a fuming, angry ex-Christian, Shane really kept me grounded and just realizing like, man, Christians are humans. Like what you're learning is that Christians are not divine, that they don't have a monopoly on love and kindness, that they are humans that have a tribe and they struggle with it sometimes. And they have a hard time relating with people sometimes when they're different. They don't know how to meet you where you're at if it's something they haven't dealt with. Jesus maybe doesn't give them all the right cues in how to meet you where you're at, you know? So anyway, learning that Christians are humans Mm -hmm. and that human relationships can be very difficult and complex. And these attitudes that were hurting me from Christians, recognizing that I was at risk for emulating those same behaviors just on another side. So recognizing my enemy is not Christians, it's thinking I'm superior. I don't want to be somebody who thinks I'm superior and everybody else is dumb or that I'm superior and everybody else is an enemy and everybody else is evil. It's like, these are the same things I hate about Christian, sorry, Christianity. And I don't want to end up in any place where I emulate that. So anyway, he really kept me grounded and I ended up being able to come out of that just with so much peace, you know, coming to peace with where I'm at, but then being able to come to peace where other people are at and recognizing Christian friends will never be able to applaud applaud my faith perspective. And is that okay? Yes, it's okay. They have their faith. I have mine and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And we're different and that's fine. And and that's where true healing came for me to where suddenly this wasn't a crisis and it wasn't the biggest thing in the world that was going to destroy my world, destroy everybody else's world the reality that, okay, we're different. We didn't plan on this. And now what's the path forward? You know, as you said, and personal responsibility really became it. 
you know, of just recognizing now I walk forward. And now with my Christian friends, I don't need to try to question their faith. I don't need to try to explain how I'm not evil. Mm -hmm. Even if I suspect they think I am, (laughs) I don't have to, like, I don't have to worry about it. Instead, I can walk up to them with a smile, hug them and ask them how their new job's going Mm -hmm. and ask them if they need help moving this weekend and ask them if, you know, how they're doing. Are they, are, are they finding peace in life? And, you know, life just goes on and realizing, oh my gosh, if we just get over these differences that were so catastrophic, maybe there's still so much relationship to be found here. And really finding so many gifts on this side of things. Growing up, you know, I had a tribe, I had a village, and we all had the same perspectives on this and this and this and this and this, you know, same pol- uh, same yeah. political thoughts, yeah. same religious thoughts. Makes things very neat culture, and, neat essentially. And tidy and oh, it's easy. beautiful. Yeah, It's beautiful. And the dark side is that then everybody else outside of that is wrong and it's undebatable because you'll all, you'll all tell one another that right. it's undebatable and you have the right faith and you have the right politics and blah, blah, blah. And it's very us and them. And I had a tribe of people around me where it felt very peaceful, the way that we all had the same perspective and all knew that we were right. And then reaching a point where I'm tribeless. And it happened a few years ago and it was terrifying. But now realizing that, man, being somebody that like from my faith perspective, that's offensive to so many people that, you know, I would identify as an atheist. You know, if I, if you ask me, that term works for me. I'm very agnostic, atheist, whatever. There's no God that I believe in. I don't, I don't, I see more question marks than answers. I don't, yeah. I don't not believe in a God, but I don't believe in a God. There's not a God that I believe in. Right. I haven't heard of him. Right. And I'm, that's very offensive to some, my faith perspective. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I'm gay is obviously like another level for a lot of Christians that they have a problem with. Uh, then my political thoughts are kind of offensive. They're, they're very mm-hmm. pieces of different sides. Cause I, I I've, wait, I are you saying you have nuanced on different issues? Are you saying you What's have that? nuanced, are you saying you have nuanced <laughs> political views and you no, think about no, every no. specific issue and give it thought and some yeah, things you might be more left, more right? Like, wow. Are what? You, wow. <laughs> we, yeah. So it, I know it's shocking, but, uh, you know, coming to a point where I don't just take cues from political parties. Right. So, you know, I, I might lean more capitalist and conservatives will love that. And then I personally don't support anti-abortion legislation. So then I'm repulsive mm-hmm. to conservatives for mm-hmm. that. And it's just like, you're just like, and it, 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 it's tough, but it's like coming to a place where you feel like on one end or the other, you are offensive to everybody. Yep. So you're homeless in a sense, as far as oh, tribes. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, totally. it, you know, it, it was heartbreaking and confusing some years ago and I thought I was losing everything, but instead, like, I'm so thankful today to have come to this point because it gave me the opportunity to learn what I'm most passionate about. And that really is finding common ground with people. And what I want people to know in my life my beautiful Christian friends who I admire and are incredible examples to me of integrity and character in many ways. And, and what I want my political people in my life who have very different political views and 
want to lock down the country and put masks on everybody and mask all the children and different things that I don't agree with. Like all these people, like I, I truly care about them more. Like I care about not, not to sound like mother Teresa. I'm just saying like my priorities, like our differences, I don't want to affect us. And I don't even want it to respect how much of a cool person I think you are, you know? Cause like, I don't think I can afford that personally because the way that my life is, as you said, like very nuanced, Mm -hmm. not that I'm so novel. Many of us are nuanced if we really are honest with ourselves. And I just, my life is so nuanced. Like I can't find a real home in any tribe. I feel like, so I, I, I don't feel like that's a delicacy I have. So I have to be in this place where it's like, gosh, if I let political beliefs, for example, dictate whether or not we can respect one another and be friends and find love for one another yeah, you'll end up with nothing then with i'd nobody. have nobody i'd have nobody right same with faith right. man if, right. if faith you know if you're a christian i'm going to think you're evil and dumb then i would have nobody you know it's yeah. just it's just it, yeah anyway getting past that and recognizing it's a good God, point people it's a, it's a really people good... just matter like th- i don't want any of that to dictate my relationships and my my biggest insecurity even talking now with you and if anyone were to hear this you know, just now I'm being very candid and uncensored about faith and my perspectives, but like, I'm just, I'm just saying what's inside me. And if it's super offensive to you, and if you have very different perspectives, like I don't mean to offend you and I don't find you offensive for having a very different view. Right. It's like, man, I care about you so much more than any of that. And I care about us so much more than that. And it's just, geez, like I just, Man, I, I I want to surround myself with socialist friends, capitalist friends, Christian friends, non-Christian mm-hmm. friends, and I just I just want us to be able to experience one another, learn from one another, find the things we're so passionate about, which is probably most things that we actually have in common. Of we want to be good men or good people, and and good family members, and good sons, and good fathers, and good people in our community. It's like, oh my gosh, we have far more things in common. Than we do not in common. And I just don't want to play petty wars with tribes. Yeah. It's a mess. Can I share something with you? Yeah. Okay. I was at our Seminole County school board meeting uh, for, for the county I live in uh, just a couple days ago. And I was there to share my perspective on what I thought regarding some of our current issues on whether or not children would be masked all day in school. I, I, was, I enjoyed being there. Well, wait, wait, before, let me interrupt you before you get into this. So um, let me just say in response to the last things you were saying about, in a sense, when you were talking about you want to have socialist friends and, and capitalist friends and, and these, it's like, it's kind of like heaven on earth. You know, that's what you want. You know, mm. you want us to all like coexist. And when I said earlier in the podcast about like you and I seem to both be like kind of kumbaya people, right? Like, can't we all put our put aside our differences and can't we all just get along? Mm. And I, I love that, that, that spiel you gave there at the end there. Like, I just feel like that kind of sums it up as like who we are as people, yeah. whether we had religion before or not, but kind of who you are, who is Tyler Burgett as an individual? What really makes you, you, what is your soul? Like if there is a such thing as a soul? And same right. for me. And it's kind of like, look, 
I think you and I, we just want to be beautiful souls in this world and we want to connect with other people and whether they're similar or different. I mean, we're all similar and different. It's just yeah. a combination of how much similarity in this area or different in this area. And we need to stop looking at that as a bad thing and accept it more of a reality of like, it is what it is. You know, people's yeah. skin tones are different. Their racial heritage are different. Their this and that, their political views, it's all different. And But some things mm -hmm. are the same. And I think we need to stop looking at each other or the 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 the, the task in life is to get on the exact same viewpoint, like almost like to create other people around you as carbon copies of yourself in order to right. feel okay. Like I'm surrounded by people who think and act and feel exactly as I do. Because on the one hand, that's a fool's errand. It's never going to happen. Like even if you're in a Christian community where you think you all believe the same, like there will be these other issues where you don't see eye to eye. And are you going to allow 100%. that? To, are you going to allow that to become a point of tension in that relationship, or are you just going to be like, okay, look at it as more of a different spice in the relationship, a different flavor, a little salt, pepper, paprika, like just okay, it's just giving more flavor to my overall existence and my perspective in life, because I think yeah. that's kind of how you're describing it and how I think about it as well, and I think that's a beautiful thing. So, hundred percent. Well, yeah. what? Actually, let me say, uh, I would, I would, that meeting, the, what I got from that was uh -huh. how uh, there was people just jeering at one another. People came in representing their viewpoint, and they were very unkind to one another. Mm. And it was pure tribalism. Yeah. And that's what I met there. And that's what grieved me, grieved my heart. And I might have shared a certain view on some topics with some of those people. But more than anything, I felt estranged because none of a lot of that behavior I agreed with. I had grown women, grown women around me insulting one another. I, I just constant jeering from crowds saying mean wow. things to people. Afterwards, I tried to speak to a woman and she considered me of the other side mm. and she ignored me, wouldn't look me in the eye, wouldn't mm. answer me, talk to me. Yeah. It was very strange. And, and yeah, that is what more than anything I've realized my life's not going to be about, I don't care what your perspective is on stuff, man. We, <laughs> I just, I don't care. I don't have a lot of time here. You probably don't either. We're all going to die soon. The sun's mm -hmm. going to explode. The meteor is going to hit us or whatever it be. Or I will die on the interstate tomorrow. And it's like, Oh my gosh, I, I probably only have enough time to say, let's connect a little bit and learn from one another and live life together. Mm-hmm and find some common ground because I just don't have time to have all these things be issues. Yeah. <clears throat> Kumbaya. Kumbaya. Hopefully, man, yeah. that's all we got time. So kind of, um, slight change of, not, it's not even a change of subject, but kind of, um, kind of bringing things up to more current day. So, I think a lot of what you described was like 2017 and maybe a little bit entering into 2018 and kind of that experience, what it was like for you coming out of Christianity and the struggles therein. And just now with a couple of years of it behind you and especially having been through 2020 and this, this crazy election cycle and the pandemic and all of these things, like, mm -hmm. 
how have you sort of found your identity? Because I think you and I definitely feel sort of politically homeless and spirit <laughs> religiously yeah. homeless and in a society that is becoming increasingly tribalistic. Yeah. So in a sense, it's like, that's not a good place for people like you and me to be in, you know, because it's like, no. we have, <laughs> it's like you got to pick your ship and, and jump on that ship and just, you know, uh -huh. otherwise you're going to be off and at sea on a little floating little sailboat or something that's going to be tossed to and fro, you know? So, exactly. so how have you been managing to navigate or how have you sort of felt out your identity as an atheist? And I also wanted to ask you, like, we didn't really go that deep into it, but like, I know you kind of say in, in the intro, like as you being gay, but like you also were almost married to a woman. So now do you feel completely fully gay or like bisexual or is it kind of up in the air or? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I identify as gay. If I, if uh, I, I date guys. Yeah. I, I think I let go of dating women now, uh, permanently. Okay. Uh, you know, I found a lot of value in my relationships with some great girls, but I think where I really feel like myself and something feels right is just within the bounds that I'm gay. And yeah, you know, uh, there's a lot that I don't connect with kind of on that same side too, of like being gay and I don't really, I don't know, maybe, maybe I won't end up having that long, happily ever act after marriage or something like that. Um, I'm not really sure, but yeah, basically realizing for me that I'm gay and those are the pounds I'm living my life in now. Okay. So okay. no, I'm, I'm, I'm gay. I've settled on that. Took some time, did a lot of back and forth, but about a, a little over a year ago for the last time I settled on being gay and it just brought so much peace and just resolution to something that had just been so up in the air and pending for so many years. Mm. And I didn't really realize how much brain space that was taking up mm. until I was past it. And uh, yeah, I, I, I am very gay and I go on dates and whatever. And it's, it's, it's been cool to just finally uh, be free to, embrace that side of life, even with while being very much, you know, my own person who might not connect with a lot of different aspects of this or that or whatever it be, but I am myself and where I most fit within relationships is probably in a gay relationship. So if I get married someday, it's going to be a guy okay. and we will see if that happens. <laughs> okay. Okay. So do you think that has become easier because you left the church and are atheist now, like, would that have been harder to fully embrace that lifestyle? Like while you were in the church, I'm assuming yes, but. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. In my, in my branch of Christianity, it was definitely a sin to be gay. Yeah. Definitely a repulsive matter and a sin against God. And definitely one of the grossest sins you could commit. Yeah. It's a uh, definitely an abominable one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's it, it's funny when you were kind of saying like, even in the beginning of that, the complexities of, of this and that, even being gay, like, you know, there's certain things, there's probably certain aspects you might have missed about being in a relationship with a woman before, but like, 
For like, sure. Yeah. Like for, for sure. For me, like I, I've joked about this with some good guy friends of mine in the past, but like sometimes I'm like, I wish I was gay. Like, you know, like I almost wish <laughs> I wish I could be gay because honestly, like have you heard of MGTOW? Of what? MGTOW. M-G-T-O-W. It's no, ba- I don't think so. It basically it stands for men going their own way. Oh, oh, sorry. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So, yep. so, you, so you've heard about this. You know a little bit about it. Oh, yeah. It. So, yep. Oh, yeah. I, I last dated a girl, at, it was March 2019, I think. And we had a breakup. We had a bad breakup. And the next day, my friend Tommy Danger, who I actually just recorded the episode with yesterday, his episode's going to be coming, posted right before oh. yours in the next week. Um, he introduced me to MGTOW. He texted me. He was like, MGTOW. And I was like, what's that? And he was like, Google it. <laughs> I Googled it. I went down the rabbit hole and my mind was blown. And I just kind of was like, wow. It was like in the matrix. I started to see all the code for what it is. Like, like why <laughs> women really... are poison. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. it's funny. It's funny because it, it has that reputation of demonizing yeah. women, but really for me, it's not about demonizing women. It's about better understanding women and also understanding mm-hmm. men. And understanding the, yeah. the dynamics between us. And what I kind of learned and my takeaways from that was like, oh, I could literally kind of go down the list of all the dating relationships I had and I could be like, oh, I, it makes sense to me now. Like why that didn't mm-hmm. work out, why this didn't work out, why this was never going to work out. Like, you know, it, 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 it has to do a little bit with like the wiring of like women and, and men and you know, just like on a deep sort of anatomical level, like just like primordial, like just, and and I think women operate in certain ways that I'm not a big fan of, but I don't, I'm not mad at them about it. I've come to a place where I'm like, it's like, look, it's like hormonally things happen and, you know, like they just have certain drives and and motivations Mm. that I think a lot of women aren't even aware of. They just do these things instinctually. And I'm like, I can't really be, I mean, I could be mad at them for that, but I'm like, I've learned to not be mad because it is what it is. Like I I always keep coming back to this stance as I approach every issue in life of like, I want to understand things. I want to understand people. I want to understand patterns. I want to understand behaviors. I want to understand statistics and data and science and medicine and all of these things that like, it's like the full picture of life and human existence. And I want to understand all these things so that I can live in peace with them. You know, so there's kind of this element of my own individual life and mindset and choices and how I coexist with other people and in the society as a whole. So for me with the MGTOW thing, I don't really talk about it on the podcast. And at some point I'm going to do a dedicated episode just about it because I want to dispel a lot of myths. I want to clear up a lot of, you know, negativity surrounding that term and you know but yeah going back to yeah, this I, issue I find of, a, if i may say yeah i find a lot of value in the the MGTOW movement I, I i agree it has that bad rap you know and in some ways i think it is kind of the yin yang situation with you know third wave feminism, feminism where all right. men are poison right you know right, 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 right. and then you kind of have the MGTOW movement where you see a lot of women are poison, right, you know, right. and it does go so far on the other side. But if you really look at it, right. And maybe we could take a lesson that third wave feminism could be similar of just, you know, when you look at it, 
you can see some of the needs, some of the, the real experiences that have happened that aren't right, you know, where men have been victimized and men have been, uh, men have been treated wrong. And you see why people come to their perspectives. And uh, anyway, I, I just want to say, I think there's a lot of validity in those spaces. Some of the important things being talked about, obviously I, I have spent some time in those spaces and obviously it makes you cringe sometimes where, you know, when, you do have some men who are just <laughs> burnt yeah. and angry at women and women are scum. Yeah. And it's like, Oh geez. Okay. I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not hearing you. Right. Like I'm not on that it, level. It's but, funny. Yeah. But there's some legitimate needs being talked about some legitimate truth, some legitimate support going on for men supporting one another. And a lot of men spend some time in those groups and find a certain level of healing and camaraderie. Yeah. Yeah. And then they move on and they end up ideally having healthier relationships with women and healthier relationships with themselves and the world. And I think there's some value there. And yeah, no, I think you're right. I I, I'm not on board with the, uh, you know, just because some things happen in a, in a group that are distasteful doesn't mean that there's not some meaningful dialogue going on there. Right. And yeah, that's why I want to talk specifically. I mean, not right now, I'm not going to get all full of it now, but I'll, I'll, at some point I'll do a dedicated episode and really go deep with it. But Cool. But one of the reasons I bring it up is like there's actually parallels there with with what you were just saying with the Christian mm. atheist dynamic, because mm. a lot of people when they wake up to atheism or they they leave the faith of Christianity, like there's this negative militancy that we've talked about earlier about like looking at Christians like they're idiots and morons and they're wrong and but like that yeah. animosity is there. But same thing with like when men discover MGTOW or women discover third wave radical feminism. It's like, they hate <laughs> all men are rapists, right? Or all men are evil and women and men are 100%. like, and it's like, it's Damn the same the patriarchy. thing. Yeah. It's like the same kind of dynamic, unhealthy dynamic as the Christian atheist mm-hmm. paradigm. And what you and I are all about mm-hmm. is just like, like, look, like let's just take in information. Let's hear yeah. both sides of the story. And then we can take with that, take away from that what we want in order to, like you said, like live a better existence as a man or a woman and also have better relationships, whether you choose to do long-term relationships with women or men or whatever, you know, Mm. but you know, I bring all that up because I mean, it started jokingly when I said like, I wish I was gay sometimes because the reason (laughs) why is like, dude, every guest I've had on the podcast like this year, other than, my my good friend Brian, who I mentioned earlier, his wife was on the podcast, but other than her, it's been all guys. And it's not arbitrary that that was the case because most of my close friends, not just recently, even before MGTOW, I realized it, like for the last four or five years, like most of my friend circle, my inner circle, or my closest friends are guys. And I think yeah. it's because again, I don't want to demonize women, but it's kind of like my through lived experience, whether dating them or as just friends, not to get all when Harry met Sally about this, like men and women can't be friends. But I I think (laughs) to some degree, what I've experienced is that I could be friends with a female and things are fine. And then all of a sudden we start dating and it takes on a whole other life. Like the dynamic completely shifts. Like I start to see her crazy side and her bitchy side and her (laughs) nagging side. And this is a person who I had known for years and I had never seen this side of them. And when that happens, I realized like, okay, 
I at the I realized this years ago, like I got to be more careful about like maybe just being friends with females and not dating them because I think I would only want to date a girl with a certain temperament, you know, where they are peaceful and mm. they're, they're yeah. feminine and, you know, like I don't want to butt heads and be angry and in fighting and, and those kind of dynamics with a woman in a relationship. And, and I think going back to sort of why I've ended up not by explicit choice, I think it just kind of happened organically. Why I've ended up with all these guy friends around me is because I've never had to worry about that dynamic. Granted, I do have friends now, especially after 2020 guy friends who I'm like, I can't talk to you anymore because it's, uh, it's, it's toxic. It's toxic. Yeah, like so much. they're yeah. on the other side of this. They don't want to hear anything I have to say about it. And even if I'm open to listening to them, their views on it, it's not a healthy balanced dynamic because they don't want to hear anything I have to say about it. So I'm like, okay, that's just, that ends up being not healthy for me as a friendship. So I've ruled out those guys, but so it's weird because my social circle has been getting smaller and smaller and smaller post 2020 in a way I, as an introvert, I try to look at it on the bright side, which is like, well, but these fewer relationships that I have are getting deeper and deeper. So that's cool. Right. It's just fewer of them. But right. But real quick, just to wrap up that thought, it's just like I, I just feel like with guys in general, more often than not, I'm able to just shoot the shit, speak freely and openly, say whatever the hell I want, and they will be far less offended. You know, like you mentioned your um fiance or whatever that love of your life back then and how you were kind of yeah. walking on eggshells and you had to make sure not to say something inappropriate or your different sense of humor like that's what i mean is i feel like moving yeah. forward in my life with this podcast and with everything that i do it's like if i start dating somebody again like i mean I, like i mentioned that girl who i broke up with like that was two years two and a half years ago like we're coming up on three years since i was in a dating relationship and i'm like hmm. If I get involved with a girl again, it's going to have to be on my terms where I'm like, look, I want to express myself, have my sense of humor. I want to be fully who I am. And if she's cool with that, great. If she's not, okay, it's not going to go anywhere, you know? Right. And, and I assume you're leaving that space for her as well, you know, to be herself. Exactly. Have her perspective. Totally. That sounds like a healthy relationship. Yeah. And, yeah. and, uh, if it turns out when she is expressing herself and opening herself up and saying these views, if I'm repulsed by her views, you know, I'm like, you know, if she thinks the woman should be able to give birth to the baby and then we can still kill the baby within 24 hours. Like, I'm like, okay, I think we're done here. You know, like, you know, I, uh, I just, you know, but that has to, yeah. that comes down to compatibility and compatibility yeah. is like, yeah. you know, whether you're gay or straight or whatever, it's like compatibility is like, if you're going to be a romantic partner, if you're going to go deep with somebody in a relationship beyond a friendship, because I think with some of these issues as friends, you can agree to disagree and it's okay, but it's a little different when you're dating somebody. I don't even want to say a little different. I think it could be a lot different when you're dating somebody or in a, married to them or in a long-term relationship. It's almost like you have to, I, and I don't, I don't mean to say like tribalistic about this. Like you got to be on the same page about everything, but I think to a greater degree, you need to be on the same wavelength of like how you see things, how you evaluate 
people and situations, you know, whether it's politically or scientifically or medically or any of these things, you know what I'm saying? So, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a jaded soul at this point in life where I'm like, I don't know about long-term compatibility because the other side of that is that people change. So you might feel like you're compatible with somebody today and then five years from now, they're like somebody completely else. And it's like, oh shit, now we got to get divorced and I get to give up half my money and half my resources. I'm like, uh, that doesn't sound cool. So anyway, I'm kind of rambling here about a lot of things, MGTOW, marriage, men, women, gay, straight, like all this stuff. But like, um, if that sparks any thoughts on you, I don't know, but like, well, it does. Let me, let me say that. Yeah. The last, the last couple people I dated, I mean, a, a guy and the girl before that were, uh, very different political views than myself and just very like different political perspective. And I'd like to think that's okay. I mean, I do have friends who have what I believe are healthy marriages with people that have very different views from them. And I would rather, you know, look for a deep compatibility that has to do with our values and, you know, our, our heart, our perspective on how we believe we should be living kind of thing. And maybe the political views aren't a huge deal, but, you know, I've not found a long-term life partner, so I'm not really sure. So I'm trying to, it sounds like, you know, you're kind of wondering like, what is that non-negotiable compatibility or where am I being too picky? And it's just interesting. I've been thinking through that kind of stuff a lot. You know, the last couple of people I've been in a relationship with, it wasn't a problem in my perspective. And to me, it's like, oh, this is great. You know, even with our differences, we can admire and respect one another and find so much common ground. But at the same time, being on the other side of those relationships now, I don't, I, part of me wants to, man, I, I want to be with somebody that I have more in common with politically, even for example. Yeah. And it, it's a, it's a, it's a tough thing to think through. Like, what are those most important things? What are, what differences are, good and healthy and then what are going to affect compatibility in the long term deal breakers it's tricky yeah it's tricky but you're so right i think you hit an important point that saves or breaks relationships the fact that people change so whatever a relationship would be uh i would hope that if i were ever in a long-term relationship i think one strong pillar of it has got to be that we can appreciate our similarities and the things we have in common but even if things change that's not one of us betraying one another. Right. We should be free to change perspectives and right. believe what we believe at any given point. And, uh, you know, our goal will be to preserve this relationship if we think it's worth preserving. And it's okay to change and experience and grow. And uh, I, I think that would be important either way. But doesn't that seem yeah, like such a rarity, though? Like to the point of being an impossibility almost? Like, I mean, you look at divorce rates and like, I think divorce rates speak to the fact of a lot of incompatibility, like on very deep levels and a lot of people changing and growing apart, like irreconcilable differences, right? Like just, to me, I I I have a a couple friends that they do have some strong differences and some, uh, like a a dear friend of mine, they, they got married and him and his wife, they were very similar in every way. They shared the same core perspectives on some of these things. And then they vastly changed. And now they still have what I would consider a pretty healthy marriage mm-hmm. and a deep love for one another, even though they have different faith and different perspectives in a lot of ways. So I guess the jury's still out on that one. But I like to see situations like that and think a relationship can make it through those big changes. But 
I think kind of like what you're mentioning, I think what we see more than anything is then when somebody changes big changes in perspective or lifestyle, it breaks the relationship. It ends up breaking the relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the thing is, it's like, it's weird because like I've changed so much in my life already. I mean, that's obvious. Like my religious views, political views, everything has changed, but I kind of feel like, cause I'm a little, I'm a little older than you. I'm like 44 now and you're 30 now. Right. Uh, 29, 29. 29. Wow. Almost, almost 30 young baby. So (laughs) just a little guy. (laughs) So yeah, I'm like 15 years down the road and I'm like, the thing is, as much as I have changed, I feel so at peace with who I am now. And I think Mm. discovering MGTOW and MGTOW was mostly like understanding out there what's going on. It wasn't so much about understanding me, but I think Mm. 20 in 2020 and the whole pandemic thing in a way also was about the out there, you know, like the politics out there, the people out there in my life. And, but I think going through these kind of wake up calls or realizations, whatever you want to call them has kind of shaped who I am now so much. So to the point where I'm like, I think this is it. Like, I'm going to continue to grow and evolve, but I feel like I don't really need to figure out who I am anymore. Or like, you know, like I, it, how do I phrase it? It's like, it's, I feel solid. Like this is who I am. And for the rest, to some degree, I have always been this person, but I feel more like in my twenties and my thirties, it wasn't really the full me which is more how I feel now, the full me, if that makes sense. And it's like, like, for example, when I was coming out of Christianity, a lot of my Christian friends were probably wondering and saying things like, what's going on with him? Like, he doesn't seem like him. He's changing into something else. Like he's, and what they didn't realize is like, no, I was shedding these layers of artifice. Like just, I was becoming more of who I really am. And it was, so they had it, like flipped. It was completely wrong. And I think having been through what I've been through in the last 10 years, it's like, now I'm like, this is who I am. You know, it doesn't mean that my, my stances on certain issues won't change because that'll, that'll continue to change based on new evidence, you know, like, you know, so that's fine. But what I'm saying is at, at my core, this is who I am. And I know that. So Knowing that about myself, if I could be with somebody else who is that solidified in who they are, and I think it's kind of like what you and I are talking about. It means like having the values of like what is fundamentally most important. And it's basically Mm -hmm. like living your best life is important to me, like fully thriving, fully knowing who you are, fully experiencing life and the pleasures and the joys of life, contemplating things new experiences, new movies, new, new, like just filling the days of your life with good things, you know? Mm. And like, that is how I intend to spend the rest of my life. And plus I love dogs. So whoever, and I don't really like cats. So <laughs> that's solidified though. I know I'm not a cat person. I know I'm a dog person. So it's like, you know, but it's weird because as much as I know who I am now, and I look around at the dating market on the dating apps and the people, and I'm like, it's not going to happen. It's it's statistically not going to happen for me because one, I don't think a lot of people 
or a lot of women know themselves that well and they're continually changing and 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 again there's a difference between changing and evolving because i'm going to continue to do that but there's a sense of a lot of people they don't really have a firm grasp on their identity and it's the kind of thing we can all agree as teenagers we look at teenagers and they're like they're goth one week and they're next week they're trying out for this sports team and it's like they're too young yeah, like yeah. they're figuring <laughs> they're, they're out trying to find themselves exactly. and it's so obvious. Yeah, yeah, it's so obvious then, but I think for a lot of people in their 20s and 30s they're also still trying to figure it out. And I'm not saying like it happens in your 40s. I'm just saying for me I finally have reached that point where I'm like this is who I am. And hmm. I don't even know that a lot of people will get there in their life, maybe, maybe not. I have no idea of measuring this, like how many people out there are really fully sort of like, you know, how earlier you and I were talking about the foundation, you know, we had, we thought we had this foundation in God and mm. Christ and all this stuff. And turns out within a couple months swept away. Right. So yeah. what I'm describing now is like, no, I know my foundation, my foundation is me, you know? And I feel like mm. this past year I've had to let go of so much and so many people and, and it hurt and it was tough, but now I've kind of built upon the resilience I had. Like I grew up, or you didn't know this about me, but I grew up as a military brat moving around all the time. So uh, like okay. I, I had to be resilient and I, I developed this adaptability or at an early age. And now I'm kind of like, okay, it, it's a superpower of mine now where I'm like, given mm. 2020 and all the shit we've had to deal with, I'm like, I think that's why I'm able to maintain my sanity and grow stronger in a way, whereas other people are falling and, you know, I mean, suicide rates and, and all these other problems, like, because they can't handle it. They can't handle the isolation, the aloneness, like, and I'm not saying it's been easy for me. It's been really hard for me this past year, but my 2021 is already shaping up way better than my 2020 because of this newfound or newly reclaimed sense of independence. And this is who I am. And this is all I really need. You know, when mm. we talked earlier about like Christ, like I need you, Christ, like that Christ, you and you alone. And, and it was yep. empty. What was it? It was me. Essentially I'm talking to myself and now I'm like, okay, all right, self, it's you and me. What are we going to do today? Like, just let's, let's get it on. Let's move forward. And I think that's mm -hmm. what I mean when I say I've sort of found myself and my position and my foundation, my place is like, in a way it's, it's a little bit jaded because I don't rely on anything externally as much, you know, whether it's God, whether it's Jesus, whether it's your brothers and sisters in Christ, whether it's your girlfriend or your wife or your even family to some degree, you know, it's like, mm. I've kind of come to terms with like the fleeting nature of pretty much everything. And, you know, I, I think your situation is different than mine because you have always, it seems like you have had that solid community feeling of yes in the church, but also being there in Florida and with your family all around there. And for me, it hasn't been like that. So I've always had to grasp at straws to try to cling to whatever I could, wherever I moved along the way. So the person mm -hmm. I am today is shaped by all of that, just like the person you are is shaped by your experience, geographically speaking. Right. Um, right, right. But, you know, be that as it may, for whatever reasons, I I will admit I'm kind of a jaded person. I'm kind of a like short 
term minded person. And I, you know, one way I put this is like, look to my dying day, the only person that's guaranteed to be there for me in the end is myself, you know? Mm. And that means whether my mom dies before I do or not like I, cause I, my mom is the one person left who I have unresounded 100% faith in. Like that is, unsh- mm. that is unshakable. That is untouchable for me that, but that's it. And, but once she dies awesome. and she was diagnosed, important. She, she was diagnosed with cancer last year. So that was a big shakeup for me last year. Yeah, and just like I remember that a big part of my struggle last year was dealing with that. But like, you know, assuming she goes before I do, I will be on, I will be on my own in this world. And to some degree, I'm already wrapping my head around that as a reality because I can't let that destroy me. You know, like I, obviously right. that will be the one fundamental shift in my life that remains, you know, the one great tragedy in my life that still remains is like for me to live beyond that point. And, you know, like I want to enjoy every moment I have with my mom now, but like at the same time, embrace the time that I have with her, but also brace myself for the impact of a life without her in the future, you know, because I still, I might live another 20, 30, 40 years after after she's gone. And I, I want to make the most of that life. And you know what I'm saying? Like, and I, I think finally yeah. I feel at peace with that now that because I feel like I have my own back, so to speak, it's like other people yeah. can come and go and let me down and whatever. I will still be strong. I still have strength on my own two feet to take care of myself. And I don't just mean like when you're old to logistically take care of yourself, but I mean like, to really be there for yourself, you know, like self-love, you know, one of the things I say about 2020 is 2020 was a great year to fall in love with yourself, you know, that, mm. that caveat there, because right. a lot of people were miserable because they had all the people stripped away from them and their lives. Like you can't go see your family quarantine and all these other things. And you're going to end up probably a lot of people ended up spending a lot more time with themselves. And I spent the vast majority of the year isolated alone in my apartment for the whole year. And like you and I were, yeah. And you and I, yeah. I mean, you and I were joking about it earlier about Bo Burnham and how he was, you know, and he created this great body of work and I'm jealous because I should have done that. But like, that was my reality. And yeah. Governor Wolf did not make it easy on you guys. No. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it, it's really sucked here. And, and, and I'm glad I left New yep. York City, though, because that's where I was living before I moved here. And at least I have a nice oh, apartment yeah. here. I got a two bedroom, two bath. Like it, if I were going to be sequestered and trapped anywhere, I'm like, I have a pretty sweet setup here. So I think that has <laughs> allowed me to kind of like enjoy myself, like watching movies on the big screen. And, you know, I, I love my bed, just sleeping well. And I have a great workspace to be able to be creative and do things. So like, yeah, but I know I've kind of went off on a lot here, but like, so this is kind of me moving forward, basically like, and a big part of it was leaving religion because it's sense of like, I trusted in God to be my rock, but now it's like, I'm my own rock. And it doesn't mean that mm-hmm. I'm perfect or that I'm infallible or that I'm super strong or superpowers or whatever, but it just means like, I found a lot more resilience a lot more resiliency and and strength within myself than I ever thought I could have have, you know? So that is kind of what's carrying me through. But 
So that, I just described yeah. a lot there sort of in the last couple of years of my life, like my pandemic experience, but also coming out of religion. So, so what about you? Like your post, yeah, well, post-religion say, life and entering into 2020 in the pandemic, how's it been for you? Yeah. You know, speaking to kind of growing in, uh, I guess like self-sufficiency. Yeah. It's like confidence and reliance on yourself and kind of spotting codependency on different people in your lives and trimming that where need be. Like I think such an important part about relationships, whether it be with loved ones, with friends, family, a lot of that is a risk. And I think that's important. You know, you do open yourself up to and kind of depend on them. Like you open yourself up to depend on them for some things. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing, but it is a different, difficult balance to, to figure out. Yeah. And there are times every once in a while where something happens with, with a friend or something happens with uh, family because family is who I'm closest with. When something happens with family and it destroys my world and I don't know why I'm alive anymore and uh, I'm a softy, you know, so then I'm like sobbing or something. <laughs> and it's like, okay, like that, that's a, that's a point where you can look at it and say, is this healthy? Like, do I have a healthy relationship with this? Like, recognizing that while I think it's important to open yourself up to depend on others as they depend on you, I think that can be a healthy element. Mm -hmm. But sometimes there is a point and there's been a couple points over the past couple of years where I have uh, identified something, uh, a situation happened and it like broke me. And I had to recognize that I'm leaning a little bit too much into this. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm leaning too much on family. Oh, mm -hmm. I, find my value in whether or not my family embraces me with open arms. You know, I've had some difficult situations with being a different faith than mm -hmm. my family. And then on top of that, then being gay and being honest and open about that. And then having to face the consequences. I had a loved one tell me that if I ever have a partner, they will not be welcome in their home. They will not ever want to be in the same room with them. They don't want to meet them. Wow. They, everything will change if I have a partner. And when I they say that, do they mean they, like they, if you get married to a man or just like if you're dating a guy? Oh, you just in general. Or? Yeah. Like they just can't be around that level of sin. Okay. And, uh, you know, there's even discussion of, Hey, hope we don't have to cut you out. Eventually. Uh, they ended up backtracking on that, but still the reality was, you know, I was, I was being told that if I someday had a partner attached to my hip, that we would not together like be allowed places mm. at family events that, you know, the fi family would be split, stuff would have to whatever, right. um, you know, that's, Oh, I mean, that's just, that breaks you, you know, like for me and uh, going through some of this stuff, it's like, Oh my gosh, like suddenly some things that you thought were guaranteed to you, things that you thought were so solid, yeah. you know, once again, kind of sounds similar to yeah. a breaking Christian faith. Yeah. Like then when family bonds, you know, if you have, if you have somebody telling you, Oh, by the way, our, our relationship and our connection is not unconditional and things yeah. could change down the road. And it's like, Whoa, I thought this was a relationship that was rock hard. You know, I yeah. thought this is one that I would never lose. And now I'm learning that, I can hit a point where I'm so repulsive that yeah. family bonds doesn't matter. And I will be, you know, an untouchable or whatever like that. That's it's shocking. 
And it it really shakes you. And then I think kind of like to what you were saying, recognizing that, oh my gosh, like I still want to depend on these people and have that like, you know, love of any sort is like a sort of risk. But I also want to recognize that like, where does my peace from? It can't come from them. You know, I can find an additional amount of peace and joy and satisfaction in these rich relationships, but that peace has to be somewhere in me. You know, to where, geez, what if, Yeah. what if my convictions brought me to a place where I was so unbearable and repulsive to my whole family and they kicked me out, would I be okay? Mm-hmm. And I'd like to think yes. And I'd like to be at a point where it's like, I can love these people and they serve me incredibly. And I, I aim to serve them incredibly. And I want us to enjoy these rich relationships, but I don't, I don't want my, my heartbeat to be connected to this because that's, I I don't think that's healthy. So it is interesting. I don't know exactly where that balance is, but I've been trying to figure it out because I really did think a couple of years ago that like it was my duty to maintain every single relationship and almost every, you know, every single friendship with so many people. And if anything went sour, it was my fault and I wasn't, I was doing something wrong and these days recognizing, no, actually, how about I start from another point that like, I just have peace within myself and be a healthy person and whatever relationships I get to experience and be a part of and serve in, that's a gift. And I am blessed with a great family, great people in my family, great friends and community and I want to be a part of that, an active part of that. And I want to take risks in these relationships and, you know, put my heart at risk in some of these ways. But I also want to make sure that I'm maintaining that, that, that peace, like inside me to where yeah. I'm not actually staking my well-being right. on the status of these relationships or what these people think of me. Yeah. It's a very key distinction to make. I'm glad you're identifying that. Like, that's a, that's a, I mean, you're only 29, but in my opinion, like you're a, you're a wise guy, not, not a wise guy, but like, you know, a smart, smart dude to have. I'm trying, like, but to, I bring that up to say that I'm trying to figure it out because yeah. <laughs> I don't think I have it quite yet. Yeah. And it's been like such a source of stress, but, and then I have friends that are far off on the other side and it's like, Oh, your family doesn't like that you're gay or, Oh, your friends don't like, Oh, your friends said they won't come to your gay wedding. Well, fuck them. You know, you don't need that negativity in your life. Right. And, you know, they, but, but when you look at their life, their best friends are always, usually it's like, when you look deeper at that person's life who talks like that, they like change best friends every two years. (laughs) They, you know, like most of their family relationships are kind of strained, you know, it's like, no, but I don't live that way. Like, I don't want that life that you have. (laughs) I have my family and a lot of my close friends that I've been friends with since I was a child. And we grow and change and we maintain this relationship no matter what all these storms are. And anyway, it's, uh, man, I don't, I don't want that like, <laughs> oh, you, you have negativity? Well, F you and walk away. Well, like, it's, it's no, interesting. That's, that's not me. So they're like on that far side. And then, yeah. then you got me a couple of years ago where it's like, oh, my gosh, I have to maintain everything. And right. if anybody leaves, it's my fault. Right. And now that's recognizing, no, I want somewhere in the middle where there literally right. that is that level of recognizing, okay, you're really, you're really 
dragging me down, being distracting, and being very unkind. Like, it's okay that I let there be distance between us. Mm-hmm. So I want to like go into that territory while being okay with separation, but not getting to the point where <laughs> you call everybody who rubs you the wrong way a hater right. and burn that bridge. You know, It's interesting to hear you say that because like I said, I'm a little further down the road than you and I am certainly more jaded than you. And I might not phrase it in the way that you mentioned about like, oh, well, fuck that person, whatever. But yeah. to a certain degree, I'm still operating like that over on that side of the spectrum where I'm like, mm. like, and I think it also goes to my upbringing in the military, moving around a lot. Like I've gotten used to letting go of places of people like along the way. And this was pre-internet, you know, this is back mm. in the eighties. So, you know, right. I've had to learn from a young age to just let go of people and situations. And now the way it's playing out in my adulthood is like, look, you know, I am an introvert. I want to go deep. I want to have meaningful connections with people and deep, long lasting relationships. But I also have standards. And if, Mm. if people, this is one way I've kind of, and this was like a New York thing that I kind of developed, but basically I do think this is a healthy behavior for everybody to do. It, It might not work for everybody, but I think across the board, this is a pretty good strategy to have, which is basically it goes back to what I was saying earlier about it is what it is. Right. So like Mm. evaluate each person, you know, give them a chance, give them the benefit of the doubt. If they, if they let you down, if they disappoint you once, let it go, whatever, if it happens again, maybe bring it up and talk about it. If there's a continual pattern that's formed though, of them saying, Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But they keep repeating the same patterns to me. I'm like, okay, it's kind of over. You know, but when I say it's over, I mean, you've shown me what your true colors are. You've shown me what you're all about. You've proven to me you're a person who I can't rely on, can't count on. You've shown me that your yes doesn't mean yes. Your no doesn't mean no. Like, you don't have the integrity level that I would hope. I don't hate you. I'm not like, fuck you or whatever. But at the same time, you have been removed from my inner circle. You are out here on the periphery somewhere. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you, yeah, you can, absolutely. Come, you can come and go if we keep in touch or not. It really doesn't matter to me. You're kind of off my radar. That is kind of, kind of my system of like judging people and placing them in certain categories, according to their own behavior, according to their personalities, according to how they respond and act in certain situations, whether it's objectively in their own life, like if I see them being a nasty person to somebody else, or if it's because of their interaction with me, either way, I'm continually gathering data about the people. And I don't know if that sounds terrible. It'll be like keeping a score on people in your life, but like to some degree, I think we all do it, whether we're aware of it or not. But like to me, yeah, no, no, I think that's, I think that's good. Yeah. And, and, and I just kind of like, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt up front, but at the same time, if they've proven a pattern that I don't like and it's not healthy for me and it screws me up, I let go of that person. And I find the older I get, you know, life is short and getting shorter and time is more precious to me, my time and energy. And like, I only want to, I mean, my theme for this year, my first podcast episode of this year was intentionality. 
And I think that was a big yep. lesson for me coming out of 2020, which is basically, I want to be very intentional about everything I do, like the time that I spend, the money that I spend, the energy that I spend, the people that I choose to have in my life or not. And I think that is something where a lot of times it's just like, oh, people that are in your life. And you don't really look at it as a conscious choice. But I've started to look at it more that way because I've got whatever, 600 Facebook friends or whatever. I'm like, this is a choice. What people mm -hmm. I want to go deeper with and what people are, can just be on the periphery. And yep. I think it's good for me to be intentional in these ways. And I think it would be good for a lot of people to be intentional in these ways. And I think a lot of people live very unintentional lives. Like life just kind of happens to them. And, and I think I'm guilty of that as well. I think a lot of life has just happened to me. And I think whether right. it's the MGTOW knowledge I've gained or whatever, it's like now I kind of understand things for what they are so I can make sounder decisions about, you know, dating or, you know, what people I give it, you know, give more of a chance to or, you know, but like, mm. you know, so it's just funny because that spectrum that you laid out, like I'm definitely more on the side of like, you know, if somebody was like, if I were gay and somebody was like, you know, ruling me out because of that, I'd be like, I wouldn't have to be nasty toward that person and be like, fuck you asshole. Like blah, blah, blah. But like, I could just be yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, in my heart of hearts, I'm like, in a way that person's kind of dead to me, you know? Cause I'm like, right. You know, they're like, all right, I'm just going to go over here now. And if we never speak again for the rest of my life, so be it, you know? Right. And, you know, like I said, I'm still like on a journey with this and kind of trying to figure out uh, where that balance is. But mm -hmm. something interesting for me, though, is that I am working towards adoption. That's something that means a lot to me. And I've been, uh, you know, going through the steps in the past couple of years to do this. Uh, Would you do so as being a when, single parent or do, do you have a partner? Yeah, no, right no, now, yeah, or? absolutely. No, no, that's, that's what I'm focused on. Yeah. I'm focused on adoption right now. Yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a single, single guy. So that, that is one thing that I have to recognize might change some things. You know, I've been able to afford being so eclectic with the people in my life and show, I mean, hate to sound like mother Teresa, but there are relationships in my life where I give a lot more than I receive. And I have to exercise a lot of grace when I'm judged a lot and comments are made here and there. And, you know, you have to have those friends that really have your back, you know, and the ones that encourage you and the ones that you're not an abomination to, you know? Yep. <laughs> so I, I have those friends and those are important, but then you can also have those friends around you that, that add a lot of value and you can really be an encouragement to one another, but they also are, are difficult. And there's some difficult aspects. And something I, I do process is that when I have anybody that I'm now responsible for, if I have sons and daughters, if I have a kid with me now living life with that, I need to model a responsible life with and put around good community and healthy environments uh, it does make me think through some of these situations of, you know, I, I think it would be a disservice to both of us to then be around somebody who, you know, like thinks that our life is so bad. Like, it's like, I can handle it. I can handle having thick skin, but I do wonder for the, for the, uh, for the sake of somebody that I'm responsible for now, 
having a younger person, I I don't think it would be healthy to have them in a situation where every once in a while negative remarks are made towards non-Christians and gay people or whatever it be. Because uh, I don't think that'd be healthy for a kid that I'm trying to build a relationship with and I constantly bring them around people that are talking bad about me. Right. You know, it's like, that's yeah. a mess. As a parent, and just in general, as it's a parent, like you, you want, want people that are... Yeah, for sure. And especially, I mean, ad- adopting from the foster system, adopting kids with whatever levels of trauma and not an infant, but a child, mm-hmm. maybe even an older child, 10, 11, 12, like you're looking at just a, a delicate situation. Your your relationship with them may be incredibly delicate. It will be incredibly delicate. And their health, mental health, physical health might be extremely delicate, probably will be. Yeah. And you know, it's just a strong responsibility. And so I do wonder, looking at people in my life and some people that I keep incredibly close, I do wonder in some of these situations, uh, to be honest, I do believe that I'm going to have to be a lot stricter and stronger lines will have to be drawn. And that's a mm-hmm. little bit intimidating for me because that's not how I generally live my life. And I, I want to be very thick skinned and open and focus less on how they're behaving, focus more on how I'm behaving and what behaviors I'm modeling. But the reality is uh, it's going to bring a different element when I have anybody under my care and the environments that we put ourselves in, I'm going to need it to be an environment that is uh, not only for the thick skinned, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, right. so we'll see. We'll see. So I might, I might end up more where you're at on the spectrum. <laughs> so I'm along for the ride. I'm, I'm trying to figure this out what's healthy for me and then anticipating and really it's just going to have to be when I'm actually in that situation, then what's going to be healthy for then people I have in my care and what environments do I really deem are healthy for them and myself to be in. So it's tricky, tricky. Life is complicated. A lot of gray area. Yeah. Yeah. I hate it, but love it. (laughs) I know that's actually uh, my tattoo that I got uh, when I turned 40. Uh, Really? What is it? It's the one word that I've thought about for 10 years or so before I finally got the tattoo. If I could sum up life in one word, it's this word. And what the, is it? the word is bittersweet. There you go. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Because it's like that no matter what happens, like I, if I ever got a tattoo, it was going to have to be something timeless, not something I was in a phase. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> you know, like yep. I would never get a cross or because like, I don't know what if I don't believe or what if Jesus... What if Jesus does come down from the sky? What if he is real? Then I'm like, okay, I guess, I, why do I have this atheist tattoo on me? You know, it's like, I wanted something yep. timeless and no matter what happens and bittersweet is the I word, like that. is the word for me. Yeah. I think because, that's the word you can hang your hat on. <laughs> yeah. That's something that's not going to change whatever it yeah. is. Like, even if my life is, if I meet the girl in my dreams next week and we totally hit it off and we fall in love and we have kids and life is a fairy tale, there's still going to be the bitter of Oh, yeah. I, I wish I met this girl so much earlier in my life, you know, like it's just like all of the loneliness and the strife that like, so no matter what happens, you know, good or bad in the future, like it, it's always going to be a mix of good and bad, you know? Oh yeah. And, and death, you know, is, is my imminent demise is, you know, it's imminent. So, yep. you know, it's all, it's all bittersweet to me, but, uh, do you have any tattoos? I do not. Yeah. Would you ever? Would you ever? Maybe someday. I'm not so opposed to it. I think as more time's gone on, I've 
not been opposed to it, but yeah. it's just never been one of my priorities. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have those things I'm saving up for and tattoos aren't one of them. They just <laughs> haven't been like something really yeah. on my mind, but yeah. I think they're great. It'd be fun to have sometime. I feel like I'm sometimes an all or nothing person. If I go with tattoos, I'll just like start a sleeve. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I'll probably never, yeah, I just don't have it too much in my, uh, Okay. Uh, in my priority list. Yeah, maybe better for you. But it'd be fun, you know, in another life when I wasn't <laughs> focused on some other things. It's like, man, I could start working on my tattoos all over my body. <laughs> maybe it's better you don't. Maybe it's better you yeah. don't start. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I'm safer just keeping yeah. myself at bay. <laughs> yeah, because I, I am kind of a minimalist in general, like kind of a purist. Like I, I don't wear any jewelry. I, I hate wearing watches. Like I just, you know, and the same thing with women when I'm dating, like I, nose rings are like this whole fad and I hate nose rings. So, you know, it's <laughs> you just don't like, like the, like the bowl. What, what do you oh, call it? Like God. the, the middle uh, thing. Yeah. Like a pig, <laughs> like a pig snout, like a warthog thing. Yeah. Like, no. Yeah. Yeah. No, nope. it's so fucking don't, hot. Don't find it attractive. I don't know. What to yeah. tell you, but, uh, you know, so I, I got all these hangups and, um, deal breakers and it, it, it you know, we were talking about long-term relationships earlier and like, but even on a short-term level, like I, I've had friends tell me before I'm too picky, but it's weird you in a way. Be. You you might think the older that you get, you have to lower your standards in order to be with somebody. But for me, I've actually, post MGTOW, I've actually become more picky, more selective, which means I'm probably not going to end up dating anybody and I'm not going to be in a long-term relationship and I'm not going to get married. But the thing is, is like, okay, I'm okay with that, you know? So if it means a well, lot. you're still young and well, you could still, you know, focus on, you could still continue. And I'm sure you will continue to explore what standards you're maybe put, placing too much emphasis on. I mean, if a little bull snout ring, if that is a deal breaker for yeah, you. Yeah, it is. You know, that's like, <laughs> really, really? Is it? I, is it? Because like, to me, like, I, I don't know. I, I can't. I just... I, I'm trying to get rid of, I just know that in my past, I've just had so many worthless deal breakers and yeah, down to things like tattoos. I've generally not been a huge fan of tattoos. So I see tattoos. Eh, okay. Yeah. Mark them off the list. Yeah. Why? I, I, I'm, I'm trying to let go of some of the stuff like that. Yeah. I, I think it, but Hey, it, if you want to die alone, go for it, buddy. <laughs> well, I think a lot of this goes back to the spectrum idea we were talking about, you know, it is a spectrum, you know, it's like, it's good to have standards and boundaries and, mm. you know, deal breakers and, and to the level of how strict you're going to be with those things, it's an individual, you know, decision. But I think there are people on the other end who are just like anything goes and they'll hook up with anybody and they sleep around a lot and they just like, whatever. Stop they, talking about me. <laughs> just kidding. Like, but yeah, like the whole thing is like, no matter what, no matter what path you choose in life, there's always going to be trade-offs, you know? Oh yeah. Whether, you're you, right. whether you choose celibacy or MGTOW or being gay or being straight or bisexual or getting married or not, or having polygamy, orgies. polygamy, having kids or adopting or whatever. It's like everything is, there's always going to have trade-offs. So it really, oh, yeah. it really just boils down to each individual, I think, getting a keen sense of their, themselves like, who am I? What am I really all about? What do I want out of life? It starts there. And then it's kind of branches out in sort of terms of like the jobs you take or the places you live, the people you invite into your life, 
the people you date or don't date or the level you take that dating. Do you go to marriage and all of that stuff? But I think all of that has to stem from a solid sense of self-actualization, you know, and, and introspection and knowing yourself, know thyself, right? It starts there. Right. You know, but that's my yeah, take. I think, I, that's right. my take. I think that's why people get in a lot of dysfunctional relationships and whatnot is because they don't really know themselves. And, and, and like you're younger and you're figuring things out and I've been around longer. So I've probably figured some things out about myself more so. And mm -hmm. that's fine. It's all part of the process. But I think part of that process of getting to know yourself is through dating and, and with other people and experiences with other people. And, um, you know, but I, I think ultimately probably the healthiest, best relationships are when you fully know yourself, what you're all about, your boundaries and what your expectations are for other people. And you're with somebody else who they also know who they are and what they want. Mm. And you happen to have that magical compatibility, even as friends, but you know, it is in a romantic context. Like if you, if two people like that can come together, I think that's the best shot at something beautiful and long lasting to occur. Right. That's, right. That's my theory. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I still have a lot to learn in that arena. Yeah. Well, you know, you're, you're so young. There's so much yeah. life, life, life ahead of you. So little grasshopper. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we're going to have to wrap this up shortly because, uh, I have to head out to uh, an appointment soon, but, um, a friend of mine's actually coming in town. We're going to the Barnes museum, uh, which she's been raving about. And, uh, so nice. I'm finally going to go check it out. I feel like it's pathetic. I've lived in Philly now for almost three years. I've done virtually nothing here. Granted, two years has been in this pandemic, but where everything is shut down and locked down <laughs> anyways. But um, yeah, so going to try to hit the museum. But um, anyway, uh, dude, this has been awesome. This conversation, I've really loved it. Like just like, you know, like to me, it's like the parallels that we have in our in our stories coming out of religion. It's just uncanny to me. And but also just like the way you think and how you carry yourself and represent yourself. Like I, I love it. And you know, like we're two strangers essentially coming together to have this conversation and the fact that we can go so deep so quickly, I think it's a, mm -hmm. it's a beautiful thing. And it also gives me hope moving forward in terms of new connections I can forge with people online who I haven't even met yet, you know, or, you know, mm -hmm. or people who I might meet at the Barnes museum today or whatever, you know, it's that it kind of gives me hope that like, for humanity and human connection and to go deep because I'm so filled with frustration all the time, you know, like people behind masks and, you know, people yelling at each other and, and online hate mm. and rhetoric. And so I, I've really enjoyed this conversation and I would love to have you back on the podcast later on um, once again for a sequel, because I feel like we kind of just scratched the surface. We didn't even talk about politics and, pandemic and all these other things but uh there's so much more for us to get into but uh yeah i'd yeah. love to that'd be funny i really enjoyed our discussion thanks for having me cool man cool great well thanks for being on and uh until next time all right thank all you right. Cool. hey you yes you i just wanted to say thanks for listening if you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you're currently listening on. That way you can obviously get notified as soon as new episodes arrive. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star rating and consider writing a brief review. It just takes a second, and it really helps. 
in order to get this podcast ranking higher so that more people can discover it. And the better this podcast is doing, the more prominent guests we can get on the show, and also the more time I can devote to it, which means more episodes and better episodes. And speaking of better episodes, what would you like to see more of on the show? Are there specific topics you'd love to see covered? Do you have thoughts of your own on the subjects discussed today? I'd love to hear from you. Just shoot an email to podcast at introversion.com. Or you can reach out to me on social media. I'm Jay Caslow on pretty much every platform, Twitter, Instagram, and the rest. And last but not least, if you've been enjoying listening to the podcast and also checking out the daily blog at introversion.com, I invite you to visit patreon.com slash introversion, where you can become an official introversion patron for as little as $3 a month. That's literally 10 cents a day. Anyway, just consider it. Otherwise, just click like, share this podcast with friends and family who you think would enjoy it. Anyway, have a good one. Until next time.